This special double feature episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by The Deadlights. The Deadlights. You'll float too. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. Ladies and gentlemen, the day has come. We are talking about it. Yes. First, the 1990 TV miniseries, which covers... Okay, we should probably talk about this. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't already know, the horror movie It that came out in 2017, which we will be talking about in the second half of our show, only covers the lives of the children. Those children grow up, and there's a second story with them as adults. That's going to be coming out in... I don't know, 2020 or something like that. We don't know yet. So we're going to talk about the entirety of the TV miniseries here, which means potential spoilers for that movie, which isn't coming out for another two years or so. So please be aware of that. Don't worry, there are a lot of differences. And I, for one, appreciated the new It for what it was by itself. And I think you can too, regardless of if you know the story ahead of time. We are big It fans, and Stephen King in general, but we also like It. (laughs) I say big, about as big as you can get without being ridiculous, because we've seen this TV miniseries, (laughs) like, this is our fourth time watching it all the way through. It's about three hours long, so it's only two episodes, really, of an hour and a half each. I should also note, I think I said this in last week's episode, I have read this book... We have both read this book. Yeah, Chris has read it once. I've read it four or five times. And as I said last week, I am not, as much as I can, I am not going to talk about comparisons. Because that is not what this podcast is about. Wow, that's so big of you, Kelsey. (laughs) Before we get there, though, let's dive into Slash Cards. If you were here for the last week's episode... We opened up our horror movie trivia game called Slash Cards, the horror movie trivia game. And we shared some questions that we played in a recent session, and most of which I got completely wrong. This time around, these are brand new questions we've never seen. We're going to be answering them live on tape. Tape is a thing that was out in the 90s, people. (laughs) Among other eras, but we're talking... Fuck it. Um, (laughs) Kelsey. Yep. As of 2015. Yeah. What is the only horror film to win the Academy Award for Best Picture? Silence of the Lambs. You are right! Oh my god! Kelsey, I'm so proud of you. That was the easy one. Oh, okay. There's a hard one coming up next. Uh, But first, Kelsey, what's your question for me? Please be kind to me, too. So I picked this because it is related. A friendly St. Bernard gets bitten by a rabid bat and turns- Cujo! Vicious in it's Cujo. The, it's Stephen King's Cujo. In the nineteen eighty-three film. Yes, you are correct. Woo-hoo! I just wanted to finish the question. 
But yes, it is Stephen King's Cujo, which we have also seen. Not read, though. A lot better than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. I was like, what can you really milk out of this story? And surprisingly good. But apparently Stephen doesn't remember writing it. Because he was coked out of his mind. (laughs) Or drunk. I don't know which one. No, I think this was the coke era. Oh, okay. I want to (laughs) say that that was the coke era. And it ended very differently. We're not going to get into Cuscujo here. We're going to get into the 1990 TV miniseries, It, Stephen King's It. If you're looking for it, you might have to look it up using Stephen King's It. Kelsey. Yes. What is the premise of Stephen King's It? A town called Derry in Maine. Where's Derry? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, almost all of Stephen King's books take place in Maine. So it's this little town called Derry, Maine, and it's about these kids who encounter an evil entity that eats children about every 30 years or so. In this, it's 30 years. Yes, and they encounter him as children, and they go up against him, and they think they've won at the end, but cut to 30 years later, turns out they haven't, and they have to return to Derry to fight him again. That's your spoiler for the second it okay, movie. but I mean, they all know a sequel is coming out. Well, yeah, but you don't know the prem. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. I don't you guys, remember. If, if you've lasted this long, you're ready for the spoiler. I don't remember how the new one ends, but I'm pretty sure everyone knows there's going to be a sequel. Well, you know what? We're getting into it. Um, he slinks back into the pipe after getting beat by the children. Like, literally beaten by the children. Yeah, we'll have to. We're going to rewatch it, of course. Um, we've seen it twice already. Interestingly, we're going to need to rewatch it again. Well, because the first time we both fell asleep. Yeah. It says nothing about the movie. We saw it really late at night. And it was my birthday and there was a lot of drinking that night. So (laughs) that would be why. (laughs) Anyway, this movie is available on several sources, including Amazon. So if you want to watch it, you can buy it there. It is three hours long, and it is a 1990 TV miniseries, and that comes along with all the implications you would imagine. So, it's cheesy as fuck, it's cheesy as fuck. But if you want to watch it, go ahead and watch it, and when we come back, we will talk about 1990's Stephen King's It. Tonight, an ABC novel for television. 30 years ago, we're the misfits. We're sort of a club. Yeah, the loser squad. Fighting their worst nightmare. Killed my brother George, you bastard. Swear to me that if it isn't dead, they'll all come back. But tonight, they're reunited. Come back. As the terror begins again. It wakes up every 30 years and it fades. You're in my mind. Only in my mind. Let's finish it once and for all. John Ritter, Harry Anderson, Annette O'Toole, Richard Nasser, Tim Reed, Dennis Christopher, Richard Thomas, and Tim Curry in the terrifying conclusion of Stephen King's It. Hey, Kels. Hello. What actually happens in It? Take us through the story. So, like I said, there's a group of kids, and in this version, they do the same years as the book does, which means that it takes place at the beginning in 1958. We've got seven kids a part of the quote-unquote losers club there is bill denbro bev ben hanscom richie tozier eddie kasprak stan and mike and they are these seven friends 
Not the lucky seven. The lucky seven. Not all at the beginning of the film. They learn. They kind of meet each other throughout, and they become friends. And they realize that they have all seen this entity. Wait. Okay. I got to stop you right there, Kelsey. And I want to congratulate you on not calling out a difference between this show and the book. And I just want to say it's appreciated with how they all become friends is what I'm talking about. Okay. And we're going to move on. Yeah. No, people, if you came here to talk about the book, we're not going to talk about the book. I'm going to try not to. (laughs) So, these seven kids, 1958, Derry, Maine, small town, they realize that they've all seen this entity. Usually, he turns up as a clown, but they've seen him in different forms because he he can change, he can transform. He can manifest based on your fears. So, they choose to call him it so that he doesn't have any humanity to him in their mind but he also calls himself pennywise the dancing clown and bob gray those are the two names that he goes by bob gray isn't in this story and they don't say it at all i don't think they say it not once i don't think not even once as a matter of fact he doesn't even dance even though he is pennywise the dancing clown he doesn't he doesn't really dance in yeah he does the book They just call him that. They just call him that. He dances in the new movie, let yeah, me tell really you. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. Anyway, it's so <laughs> so he can change, and he can basically change into anything that they are most afraid of. Because? Because he needs them to be afraid of him, that he needs them to believe in him. As the film explains it, they taste <laughs> better when they are afraid. Nicely done. Yes. <laughs> So, because he killed this kid, Georgie, who was Bill's younger brother, Bill has this desire to get revenge. Vendetta. It's Pennywise the Dancing Clown. And it's not just Georgie. He's killed, he's killed several kids already. But because it was Georgie and it was Bill's brother, he feels like, I have to do this. I have to take him down. Mm-hmm. And because the other kids are his friends, they are going to help him. And it requires them to go down into the sewers because that is his lair. That's where he lives. And they fight against him. They think they've beaten him. They're not sure, but they think they have. And so they leave the sewers. One by one, they all leave Derry except for Mike. After they make the promise to come back back if he ever comes back. At this point, they don't know he comes back every... Or they, they have an inkling, but they don't know for, cert- for certain that he's going to come back in 30 years. Right. I think it's worth pointing out that this is probably the first third of the movie or so. You get a little bit of them as an adult, but primarily they're little kids. And in the rest of the movie, it's them as adults, and it flashes back to individual stories of them as kids. And I will add here very quickly... That this is like the book. The book goes back and forth between adult yeah. and child version. And the new whereas, movie series does not. Yeah, the new version decided to just cut it in half, make one half about them being children and one half about them being adults, which I think is the right move. Yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there, but I agree. So then 30 years later, Mike has stayed behind and has continued to live in Derry, and he realizes that Pennywise has come back and he has to call them all back. All of them come back except for Stan. Stan Uris. Poor Stan. Stan ends up committing suicide. So everybody else comes back to Derry begrudgingly. They're not exactly excited to come back. And they decide to go after him again. And that is the story. 
so we're not going to get obviously too heavy into the details in this quick run through of the story because this is a three hour long TV miniseries and there's lots of stuff that happens and it bounces throughout time. So that's the gist of the story. From here on out, we're going to talk about the little minutiae. We're going to dissect this movie. So Kelsey, what would you like to talk about? So Mike is, as they call him, the lighthouse keeper. Yes. So Mike, like I said, he stays there even though they all leave for various reasons. And he even says in the film, like, you guys didn't choose to leave. Your parents chose to leave. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents chose to stay here. That's why I stayed here. And then even after I went to college, I came back. And he's the librarian. And he keeps a running diary and photo album of all of the history of Derry. Now, this film shows a little bit of that, not a lot, but the opening sequence is a photo album, and it's pictures of all the kids and their homes. And I think you're supposed to think that it's Mike's photo album, which was a nice little touch. I liked that. Yeah. And we start with a crime, or I don't know if you want to call it a crime or a paranormal situation or a whatever the hell you want to call it, but Tim Curry is there. <laughs> Probably something's wrong. <laughs> or oh so right. <laughs> so we see a little girl on a red tricycle. She's riding her bike and she's riding by her mom is doing laundry and there's white sheets. Ah, white sheets hanging yep. up in the wind again. Yep. That happens a lot. And she sees... Pennywise. And our first shot of him, he's happy and smiling. He's waving, he's laughing. And then the second shot, because the the sheet like gets in the way and then it flies away again, and then he's just got this dead stare. And I think Tim Curry, as much as I'm gonna give him a hard time for this, I think he does a really good job with his scary looks. Yeah. I think it was probably a combination of the writing, the direction, and Tim Curry's just idea of who Pennywise is, that throughout the film he becomes comedic and not scary. Yeah, it's like an asshole bully who's picking on you. And he's a clown and he's supposed to tell jokes and all the jokes are about, hey, your friend's dead or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> and that's the terror that is him. He's a lot scarier when they're kids and he can appear as the the things in their lives that they're scared of like you know bev and her father or richie and the werewolf in i was a teenage werewolf which we've seen actually yeah we've actually seen it and now as adults like in 1990 at least they're scared of him as a concept so he just gets to be him and he's not so much other things anymore Although he does manifest certain spooks and scares. But Tim Curry is so great. He is so awesome and I love him so much. But only in those shots, only in the shots where he gets to be just like, I am going to consume you. I am going to eat your soul. Like when he gives those looks, he's really scary. But it happens so rare in the film. And then there's the moments when he's dealing with Richie. You know, beep, beep, Richie. And yeah. he's in the library. And he's, like, sitting on the banister. And he's like, excuse me, miss. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you should let him out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very good impression. Like, that's 
<laughs> That's Pennywise when they're adults. Excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. <laughs> He's just an asshole clown. But when, when he is super intense, you're right. Like, it's this juxtaposition of styles. And it doesn't help that the special effects are terrible. Oh, God, they're so bad. They're really bad. Like, terribly bad. Terribly. Terribly. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take a little side <laughs> trip and talk about Tim Reed, who I knew as the father on Sister Sister. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything other than this, because I didn't watch that show. He was also in WKRP in Cincinnati. I vaguely remember him from that. I don't know what that um, is. It was already off the air by the time I was born, but I would watch reruns. So he plays Mike Hanlon, and he's from Norfolk, Virginia, and he doesn't have a Virginian accent, but he says certain things a little <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> He says terrible, as if he were Charles Barkley. Terrible. And he says dury instead of dairy. <laughs> There's something terribly wrong here in dairy. Uh, what's some of the other things he says? I can't remember. He has these weird idiosyncrasies when it comes to how he pronounces words. And I can't pin it down to any particular accent. But he's from Virginia. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, that's Tim Reed. You're great. So we see a crime scene. We see the girl on the trike get consumed. And then we cut to the cops are there and Mike is there because Mike follows the cops, basically. And he gets information from the cops, etc. And this is the one where he realizes, okay, this is finally it. Because he's been, he's been killing kids, but Mike has been trying to turn a blind eye because who wants Pennywise to exist? Who wants him to right, come back? Yeah. But then he gets the picture of Georgie. Now, this brings up a question to me. Okay. One that I don't feel like the book really explains either. Is he teasing them? Why would he want them to come back? Because he needs to finish the job. But he's also afraid of them, and they make that clear. It's very obvious. He's very much afraid of them because he knows that they can kill him. Right, Well, the, but the last time they saw him, they stood up to him. And he's going to... Settle the score? Settle, well, scare them. And if he can scare them away, that's fine. Because you'll notice... He does try to convince them to leave. Get out before it gets dark tonight. You're too old to stop me. You're all too old. But that's part of his his attempt to scare them. If you don't leave by tonight, then I'm going to kill you. Kill you all! Mm -hmm. So then, before we get introduced to them as children, we actually introduce them as adults first. Because Mike has to call each of them. Okay, this is where I'm going to get into telling the difference between the books and the movie. And the I'm book. not even doing that! I know, but it's important. Okay. The main character, Bill Denbro, played by Richard Thomas, he was one of the kids in The Waltons. You know, uh, Goodnight John Boy, Goodnight whatever, I don't know their names. He was John Boy. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a TV show that was on for like seven years. No. <laughs> in the 70s. Anyway, the younger version of <laughs> Bill is played by child celebrity deceased Aww. Jonathan Brandis. I had a huge crush on Jonathan Brandis when I was oh, a Oh, Jonathan Brandis was like cover of Tiger Beat Dreamy. I didn't have that you. stuff, but I, <laughs> I had a huge crush on him. 
So um, I was very sad when he died. Yeah, unfortunately, he committed suicide in his 20s, I believe. Uh, he was 27. He's part of the 27 Club. Yeah. Anyway. Now, but we can begrudge him on his fucking ponytail. That's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> that godforsaken ponytail. Dick Thomas. In your personal life, what were you thinking? <laughs> Maybe they told him to grow it? See, that's what doesn't make any sense, because the character in the book is specifically bald. And because he got old and lost his hair. Then they contrast it with the character in this, which has more hair than any of the other characters, including Bev, and including... What's her name? I can't think of her name. What's her name? What's the name of the... Yes, no, we're gonna get to her. We're gonna get to her. Uh, including Bev, and including Audra. Anyway, he has a lot of hair, and it's ridiculous, and he looks like an idiot. And that was the style at the time. Which was the style at the time! God. But, okay, so, as soon as we see him on screen, I shouted out, Hello, Steven! Because oh, yeah. Steven writes himself into every movie. He just can't help it. I yeah, mean, every book. One, he just can't help okay, himself. Okay, this one is the main character <laughs> that all the female characters in the story love. Who's a writer. Of horrors. Specifically, he's a horror writer. And specifically, he's writing a script for a movie version of one of his books and he's a super big deal in Hollywood, and he don't care about no directors not liking him if he has to go off to Derry. Like, it is, if you want to talk about a Mary Sue, <laughs> this is a Gary Stew, 100%. Steven, Steven, Steven. Okay, so you're talking about looks that bother you. I was bothered by the fact, okay. I would like to make a blanket statement here and explain that I have no issue with people who have stutters, no issue with people who have speech impediments, but I have met people with stutters. I've encountered many people with speech impediments. I teach kids. I, I hear them all the time. I understand that there are different types of stutters. What I don't understand is how the same person can have two different versions of the same stutter. Yeah, uh-huh. They should have really coordinated that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because kid version of Bill d -d 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 does th -th 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 this. Yeah. Oh, we have to seal it first with paraffin. As you would expect. That's what you think of when you hear a stutter. Right, now, but it's I not know, as realistic. I know yeah. there are different versions. The more realistic stutter is the one. The adult version of Bill has trouble getting words out, and so he takes pauses in between words. And you can see in the way that he has the look on his face that he's desperately trying to get the word out. He didn't just die. He was murdered. Those are it's two, more realistic, though. Those are two different types of stutters. Why does the same character have two different types of stutters? It's, it's something they should have coordinated, and they didn't. Yeah. So when we meet Bill, he gets an immediate flashback. See, what you have to understand is that these characters have forgotten everything that happened to them as children. Yeah. That's part of Pennywise's mythos. So they, when they leave Derry, everything gets erased from their mind. So as soon as Mike calls them, they all have flashbacks. Sorry, Mike, for a minute there, 
You didn't know who I was. For a minute there, I didn't. And they suddenly remember, oh my god, something horrible happened to me as a child. So he immediately com comes back to Georgie. So Georgie has a scene with Pennywise where Pennywise is in the drain. This is a famous one that you'll see in the commercials for the new movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure that the new movie like basically said, okay, that scene is amazing and we're basically going to steal it shot for shot. And it is amazing. Now, what you have to understand, listeners, is this movie came out in 1990. So I was either two or three years old when this movie came out. Why my parents let me watch it, I don't know. <laughs> but this scene... For the rest of my life, I take special care to not go near storm drains because that's of this funny. scene. That's that's a new thing I did not know about you, Kelsey. You've seen me. I go far away from them when we walk by them. You've never noticed? No. Cool. So, <laughs> so he petrified me when I was yeah, a child. Yeah, scary. So... That just ruined me for storm drains for the rest of my life. It's worth noting here, and this may be apocryphal, that Tim Curry is apparently petrified of clowns. I did not know that. Again, this may be apocryphal, but apparently he had this stipulation where at no time while he was dressed up as Pennywise could anyone like have any uncovered mirrors around. <laughs> Because seeing himself would cause him to freak out. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it has been reported. That's hilarious. <laughs> he also kept himself away from the kids throughout the shooting of the film. Right. Just mm -hmm. like the new one did as well. Yeah. So that they would actually be genuinely afraid of him. Yeah. So that was cool. So when he's talking to Georgie, he says the infamous line, they float. And balloon to all colors. Oh, yes. They float, Georgie. They float. And when you're down here with me, you float too! And I think that the new movie does a better version of, ex I mean, a better explanation. Right, this never explains what floating means. They the kind of the sewers. They kind of do at the very end when they're talking about his deadlights and how he wanted to be there and everything floats there. Right. It really. But it's you have to be really paying attention mm -hmm. to hear that one throwaway line. Over at the box. Yes. <laughs> but what? So what I'm saying is, is that I think the new version explains that because in this version, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, I never understood why he said they float. It just sounds creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay, so after that, we see only one scene with Bill's parents, and they are awful. <laughs> they are so bad. Yeah. Okay, he... but I will give them this. <laughs> what happens in this scene is that Bill flips out because he sees his little brother's photo album, and not the one from the intro, mind you. And it, like, winks at him, and so he, ah, and he, and he throws it, and then it, it flies open on its own, it goes to the page of his brother's picture, and then it starts bleeding. And he's freaking out, and he's got blood all over his hands and everything like that. And his parents come in to see what's going on, and they don't see the blood. This is one thing, in addition to some of Tim Curry's better moments, <laughs> that really, really creeps you out. 
consistently throughout the movie when adults don't see what the kids see it's really fucking creepy you want to explain why the parents can't see it because they don't believe in yeah it they don't believe in pennywise when you become an adult you Uh stop believing in the boogeyman mystical or or, or what have you (laughs) and and he requires your belief to have power against you Mm -hmm. and so that's why the parents, since they don't believe he exists, they don't see the blood. And it happens a few times throughout the story, and it's creepy every single time. And because the adults are just acting, like, physically in the shot, they're interacting with the blood, and they're getting it all over themselves and stuff like that. But they're acting completely like they don't know it's there, so it's very uncanny and kind of creepy. They're still really bad actors. They're bad actors, yes. <laughs> I am sorry. There are a couple times where they go back and forth between adults and kids. Yes. And to show that it's the same character that we see as a child and as an adult, they do some sort of movement. Yeah. And it's really really bad. Deliberate movements, putting their hand to their face in some way and then cut to them as a kid putting their hand to their face in the same way. So the first one we get to see is with Brandis, uh-huh. kid version of Bill, putting his hand on his face for no fucking reason. And he just, they stay on him for way too long. Uh-huh. And he has to make this like scared face. It's soap opera scene endings. It looks god awful. And then they cut to him as an adult and it looks just as stupid. And I don't know why they did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Editors, why didn't you see that and be like, nope, that looks dumb. I'd like to take this moment to talk a little bit about the melodrama. <laughs> This show, this miniseries, is incredibly melodramatic. Mm -hmm. Like, very, very melodramatic. It was 1990. It was 1990, but there's good stuff in television and movies in 1990. Was there? But this is like a bad soap opera (laughs) style of melodrama. Early on, I wrote the acting, and this is so melodramatic. But there are lines such as... Okay, probably the best example of the melodrama is the scene between Ben and Bev as adults. They're outside of the hospital, which Mike is in, and they're talking to each other about it. And Bev says, why does it hate? Why is it so mean? Why is it doing this? Why does it hate? Why is it so mean? Oh my god. Just so fantastically melodramatic. And in that same scene, Bev starts coming on to Ben. Previously, when this happened, it was Pennywise acting like Bev. So, understandably, Ben's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do I know it's you? And he literally says, I don't know if that's you in there or the clown! (laughs) Your hair is winter fire. Why'd you say that? You wrote it, didn't you? Your hair is winter fire, January embers, something. When I was young, I thought it was Bill, but it was you, wasn't it? Damn it, Bev, is that you in there? Is that the clown? I don't know what the hell is going on. How am I supposed to know? It's me. It's me. What an amazing line. It is. What an amazing delivery. You stole that from me. I wrote that one down. (laughs) And we weren't there yet. (laughs) It's just so good. I needed to talk about the melodrama. It is ridiculous. It's it's really, really bad. (laughs) So then we cut back to 
Bill as an adult and we see Audra and of course as soon as she gets on as soon as she's on screen who who pardon pardon ah! who's that on the phone <laughs> she she is Bill Bob <laughs> so she's she calls to bet she calls to bill because he he's been in there for like over an hour typing because he's a writer uh-huh. and she's like bill <laughs> are you coming <laughs> for those of you that don't know audra is played by olivia hussey who is in black christmas which we did talk about so you want to go back and listen to that episode to get a little taste of her amazing phone answering skills. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Olivia Hussey, you are a goddess. Uh, she is a treasure. <laughs> I love this woman, and I wish she was in more stuff. <laughs> so then we get to meet Ben as an adult, who is this amazing architect, right? And to show us that he is an amazing architect, we see him with an award that he just won that he doesn't care about because he broke it and who gives a shit because he's super rich and he's all drunk and he goes into his apartment and he sees this Time magazine cover with his face on it (laughs) and it literally says, The New Architects. Okay, my mom (laughs) is a magazine lady and Time is one of her big magazines that we used to get when I was a kid. I've never seen a single one have a big spread in the middle about architects yeah and with nothing else it's literally just him kind of leaning sideways a little bit (laughs) looking at the camera and it's blackness it's nothing there's no page numbers there's no barcode there's no text above the title none of that it's so obviously fake the prop department did not try it's like it's like when you take those pictures at like those stands, you know. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, Donald Trump's fake Time magazine cover looked better than this. <laughs> My dad has one of him <laughs> and his friend in a golf magazine, and it at least has different like articles Article that names, might be inside. Yeah. <laughs> this is nothing. It's really bad. <laughs> okay, to be honest, I think that the kid actors are better than the adult actors in this. Yeah, I mean, even John Ritter. I know. Wasn't that great? And I like John Ritter. I like John Ritter. And yeah, he he was over the top, like you said. Really over the top. It's like that beard took over his personality or something. <laughs> Talk about his outfit. <laughs> so, entirely from memory, I did not write this down. He wears... Okay, this is a total guess, but I bet you I'm right. Boots? Probably. Like cowboy boots. <laughs> Tight 90s denim jeans. You know, the male that look like mom jeans. A dress shirt tucked in to his jeans. Like he's Jerry Seinfeld wearing a blazer on doing stand-up. But instead of a blazer, he has a leather vest. <laughs> Short hair and a tightly trimmed beard. A la Riker. Yes. A la William Riker. And he looks... A big belt buckle. Oh, yeah. Big belt buckle. Like, he... Now, here's the thing. If they had chosen to make him like the Ben in the book, 
I could believe that outfit. Because Ben in the book lives in this Sticksville, tiny, no, out in the middle right, of nowhere. because he's rich and he lives on a farm somewhere. In Nebraska. Yeah. And he, because he doesn't like a lot of people and he doesn't like being around groups of people. He's an awkward, mm. shy guy. This one lives in a studio. Yeah, this one's in famous. An, in an this industrial one's area. This one <laughs> has a drunk lady wanting to have sex with him. Like, it is, so the, the outfit that they chose... Works for the Ben in the book does not work for the Ben in the film. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Ben should have been way fatter than he was. He's a husky kid. Yeah. And they had him wearing sweaters like he does in the book. I guess... We're really breaking our promise on this I book guess thing. in 1990, that probably was considered fat. It's just, it's very different from what we see today. Yeah, he's just like a big kid. Yeah, yeah. But like, that, that big kid would not have been picked on for being fat. Yeah, I mean, the way he's described, you would think he's enormous. And in right. this version, yeah, he's chubby. I don't know yeah. if I would call him big and fat. Yeah. Or like, you know, something that kids would make fun of that much. Yeah. I like the Henry Bowers in this version. He actually seems pretty evil and pretty mean and pretty crazy. So the Henry Bowers in this and the Henry Bowers in the new version... Both of them got along really great with the rest of the cast. <laughs> and both of them, like, would apologize to the character playing Mike for the stuff that they had to say to him. I couldn't believe that they got away with saying the N-word on TV. Yeah. Well, it was 1990. <laughs> Listen, the 90s are not as progressive as people think. <laughs> Go back. I was alive. I can tell you. And remember, guys, this this is supposed to take place in 1958, so it's extremely... Likely that it, yes. it was that, that's the nothing about it seems out of place. Out of place right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We meet Bev. Bev should have been prettier, in my opinion. Not to say that the girl's not cute. They put her in weird clothes. Right. It's like they tried and to they make put her, her They put her in these bizarre. Well, because she's supposed to seem poor. I'm so annoyed. Both films fucked up her hair. Both films. I think I think she's great in the new one. She is supposed to have long, gorgeous red hair. Well, that's the thing, is they have the benefit of her actually being, like, a real redhead in the new one. And she's got these beautiful eyes that did not the case with the with the version in this. I think she's a cute girl. I think they just put her in really bad clothes. They it's made her sense. hair look terrible. Yeah. And she's way too sweet and soft for Your Beth. hair is winter fire. Mm-hmm. Well, how did we not see any of that? Right. And Bev is supposed to be the tomboy and the smoker and the, you know, don't mess oh, with yeah, me. We get none of that in this. And we're comparing it to the book, damn it, Kelsey. <laughs> I really like the kid who plays Eddie. I think he's just he's cute. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. He's just whiny enough. He's just sweet enough. He's mm -hmm. he's perfect. He said he has a great way with the lines. Like when Richie Tozier calls him Eddie Spaghetti, don't call me Eddie Spaghetti. How you doing, Eddie Spaghetti? <sighs> don't do that. I hate it when you do that. And don't call me Eddie Spaghetti. He seems genuinely upset about yeah, it. Like uh -huh. the kids were good actors. Fucking what's his name? Is Richie Tozier? You Seth can't. Green. You can't get better than that. Seth okay, Green. Okay, but the lines are really bad when he's supposed to be to be funny. Like, was that just what passed for humor in 1958? Because it's really bad. But he's so good. Uh -huh. The of kids course, are great. Of course, then he grows up. <laughs> hey, I like this guy. And becomes Harry Anderson. <laughs> who everyone should know as the judge from Night Court. 
Or, or if you had my childhood, you knew him as Peter Piper from Mother Goose's Rock and Rhyme. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, anyway, he was also he was also Dave Barry in Dave's World. Dave Barry is a humor columnist who I really appreciate growing up. I used to really love him. And then he had his own show, and Harry Anderson played him. Anyway, that comedy even worse, really bad. Do you remember when they were trying to be like, oh yeah, and then he he became a famous movie star, and he acted in comedies, and he's like dressed like Indiana Jones and fighting a guy that's like three feet away from him with tennis rackets, like how bad that looked it looked really bad really bad and it doesn't make sense that they made him a movie actor because the whole thing is that he does voices which they do say i didn't make Uh that up and he does voices why is he not on radio i know that's in the book i know i shouldn't be bringing it up but it makes way more sense yeah totally for a comedian who does voices to be on the radio Mm -hmm. he's like a host character in these movies or tv shows and then he becomes a movie star so i want to talk about bev for a second Bev gets blood in the bathroom. She does in the book, she does in this version, and she does in the new version. Because? Well, she looks into the drain, and it could be because she's hearing voices, and then blood spritz out. No, because she's becoming a young woman. Yes, constantly throughout this film, they say they're in summertime, and then they're at school. Bothers me so much. Yeah constantly this is the best summer of my life and then they're at school the next day what the the fuck that's the script supervisor's job we talked about this (laughs) we get introduced to the cigarette smoking man for all of two seconds bye seth green's richie tozier who was in the first episode of x-files and so was the cigarette smoking man i thought that was fascinating yeah Mm -hmm. let's talk about stan for a second okay tragic stan so good in this i love that little kid Stan's pretty good. They do a pretty good job with him. He's very neat and tidy. Why they decided to make him a Boy Scout was just strange. And he constantly says the Boy Scout thing. Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Yes. Chris was was a a Boy Boy Scout. Scout. (laughs) I make him say it every time. (laughs) But they also, they did include the fact that he was into birds in one scene, and he said the bird bird names. Yeah, so that Bill was nice. tells that story about him saying all he could think to do was to say all the names of all the birds that he knows. But this is a really interesting thing about the show. One of the times where you really feel Stan's terror is when he's on the back of Silver, which is the name of Bill's bike, which is a very large bike. They treat it like it's a horse, hence hi-ho Silver away. It's not hi-ho silver, it's yes, hi-yo it silver. Oh, is it really? It's hi-yo silver, yeah. Oh. I'm pretty certain. I'm, certain. I'm pretty certain. I might be wrong. <laughs> anyway. And and, and you, he's riding on the back, and he is looking back at whatever it is that Pennywise is at the time, and it's chasing them. And they do this weird thing where you see the video, and you're getting audio from them as an adult or the the audio is really muted when they're kids and when they do fun things with the transitions like we talked earlier about the weird hand to the face things (laughs) that are so dumb and and belabored but when they do it in such a way where it's obvious that they planned ahead because the transitions are so good but it's not the characters doing something that are completely out of character like for instance when Bill is giving a speech as an adult about how you guys need to help me 
he's responsible for killing my little brother and we need to end this now before he kills anybody else. As an adult, they swap back and forth between him as an adult and as a kid. For years, I've been getting paid to scare people. But I'm the one who's been scared. All my life. I don't want to be scared anymore. I'm going back in. This time I'm going to kill it. Help me. Help me. Please help me. And it is very effective, I think. It's the two of them giving the same speech, just juxtaposed. You know, they mirror each other. Again, it's like poetry, so if they rhyme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably the only time that that is used well. Right, but every well, every once in a while, there's a weird transition between present day and past when something in the present day is referencing something that actually happens in the past, and they like overlap each other. Like that's that's some good filmmaking. I feel. I just felt it was worth bringing up and acknowledging that there's some really good quality stuff in this. Last character to go over is Mike. Mike. We're not there. We're not, we're, we, we're, we haven't seen the new movie yet, Kelsey. We're not reviewing that yet. And we're not going up the book. gets fucked over. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> every time. Yeah. Less in this version. Less in this version. Surprisingly, version. less in this version. He'd, in the adult version of the, of the new movies, he'd better get an upgraded role. So at the very least, we he's get to see... He's the lighthouse keeper. I mean, come on. He, he's such an integral part of the story. At least for a moment, we get to see him talking to kids. He's in school and it's like, I don't know, show and tell or some shit. And he's talking about how, you know, Derry has this bizarre history of like lots of death, lots of horrible accidents and tragedies and stuff. So at least there's that. But here's the thing. Mike is the last kid to join the Losers Club. So in both fucking versions, he just kind of gets forgotten because he's the last one to join. So it's yeah, like we don't totally. have time to give yeah. him all this backstory anymore. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a bummer. He gets short shrift, but and he, he is has, a, he's a major character as an adult in this one. And he has such an interesting childhood that brings up Henry Bowers like oh. they have such a fascinating thing so he's also, and we don't get any of it he's also one of the only ones who doesn't get like the big scare with Mike we see nothing yeah practically yeah he's there with them when when the, they when all the photograph see comes to life and they all see him. every other kid gets a moment with Pennywise yeah. albeit short and not very scary that's the other problem with this I, there's so many parts where if you had just taken a little bit longer and you would just put a little more effort into it? Like, if, if they had taken... Do you think it would be interesting if it was as long as The Stand is? Oh, yes. You think it would last that long? Oh, yeah. I think they could make those scenes with all the kids way scarier. I think it could be maybe three episodes instead of two. And so it would be like four and a half hours. Well, we haven't even talked about the fact that... Okay, so they take out a lot of the scary shit. And they decide to put in not one... Not two, but three montages of one, <laughs> one of the kids, one of the kids playing, one of- Building the dam, yes. One of them on a bike. One of the adult 
Bill and Mike doing bicycle tricks on silver. Oh my god. With the with the bull thing? Yeah, they've got bull horns. <laughs> they What's some of the other shit that we talked about? It's, it's really bad. It's so bad. It's really bad. And then we get a third fucking montage of them eating. Of them oh, eating. Yeah, it's like at least two minutes of them just eating dinner at this Chinese place. Montages! We don't even get conversation. Yeah, it's just, hey, they've... I think the idea is that we're supposed to feel that they fell right back in as friends, even though they haven't seen each other in 30 years. Like, <laughs> did that really require a sappy two-minute montage of just them eating and laughing? It's so bad. Really bad. So to director Tommy Lee Wallace, dude, come on. I know it was 1990, but really? Tommy Lee Wallace is also the director of The Fog, which is one of the bad Jamie Lee Curtis horror movies from 1980. <laughs> he directed Fright Night Part 2. I didn't even know there was a sequel. And Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. So, dude, <laughs> keep it up. You know what? Actually, it's entertaining. <laughs> there is so much to talk about for this movie. I mean, you, you guys don't understand, like... This movie means a lot to me because of how much the book means to me. Not to mention there's so much badness in this film. There is so much stuff to make fun of. There oh, can we talk about the spider? Can we talk about the spider? Oh, one second, let me finish. Okay. There is a lot to make fun of in this film. And like Chris just said, we're going to make fun of the spider in just a moment. But I do want to give it up for certain things that they did well. Okay. The kids are good actors. They worked well together. When they're talking, it felt like real kids hanging out and chit-chatting and making jokes. And there are a lot of things in this film that are only for book readers. If you haven't read the book, you're not going to understand what that th line was. And you're just going to think of it as a throwaway line. There are a lot of jokes that Richie says that you won't mean anything to you. There are things that Ben says. There are things that um, Eddie does just tiny little touches and i really appreciated that yeah yeah the little touches are really good yeah can and we talk about the spider yes i just wanted to make it clear okay. that i could talk about this movie for hours right okay so if you didn't know i, I mean obviously i'm going to cut down this quite a, quite a bit we haven't touched on hardly anything Kelsey narrowed down her list of talking points, and even that, we couldn't get all the way through, and we've been recording for over an hour now, so hopefully it's shorter than that in the actual episode, but we shall see. <laughs> we could definitely talk about this for a very, very long time, and we're trying to keep it short. If there is anything that you wanted to talk about, feel free to write us at podcemetery at gmail.com or send something to our twitter at podcemetery and who knows two years down the line when the sequel comes out maybe we review the tv series again <laughs> maybe it'll be long enough and we can talk about that other stuff either way we'll talk about your comments in the next episode so spider please let's talk about the spider okay the spider is garbage. It is so bad, and I love it. It's this fucking giant cross-eyed spider. To explain what Pennywise is. Pennywise is an alien. <laughs> from the creation of the universe. Basically. He crash lands on Earth at one point, And 
this is how he's been surviving for hundreds of years is millions has the earth existed for millions yes of years? it has but i don't think that's how it, it came in like the jurassic age oh okay right or so anyway <laughs> right so maybe he was like a dinosaur some sp- spider dinosaur thing and he just ate dinosaurs or whatever then when humans started taking over he started doing this this cycle thing where he would he would eat these children he would scare and eat these children, and then he'd sleep for 30 years, and then he'd come back and he'd scare and eat these children over and over again. And he would take on this form of this clown. But in actuality, he was this alien spider thing. He's and he's like not... a cosmic entity. Yeah, the spider is... Sorry to get booky on you, but it's gonna happen. The spider is the closest that we as humans can understand what he looks like, because... It's as if you were seeing a god, because he is like a god. He mm-hmm. is, like you said, a cosmic entity. And we, as humans, don't have the... Mental capacity. To see him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he manifests as this shitty-looking spider. <laughs> and there's two things it does. They're in the sewer after him again as adults. And originally, they just, like, hit him in the head with a slingshot... And, like, light came out. Like, that was that was kind of a neat effect, I will say, for the time. Where light comes out of his skull and he starts freaking out. It's and just the battery that, acid on his face. It's just that every time someone gets hit in this movie. <laughs> yes, it is. And it happens multiple times. It, they fling back with this, their mouths agape. And it's slow motion. It's like, <laughs> oh! Yeah, yeah, no, it's really bad. <laughs> but in this, they come to to encounter him again, and he appears as the actual spider entity thing. And he does two things. Number one, he lifts up his body, and the under underneath of his thorax or whatever abdomen is shining lights. And these these this is the show's representation of what are the deadlights. Not going to get heavy into what the deadlights actually are, but it's this weird cosmic thing. And anyway, if you see them, you go crazy. And the you... new version does a weird version of it, but couldn't keep Yeah, continue. we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> and it's like mesmerizing all of them. And Bev and Eddie are hanging back because everyone's like, it's so stupid. <laughs> Bill is the first one to be mesmerized. And then like Ben comes up and is like, Oh, Bill, don't be mesmerized. <laughs> and then every other person keeps Richie. coming up. Yeah, Richie. And that's and it. I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and he does the same exact thing. Hey, guys, don't look at the hood. <laughs> so dumb. And uh, Bev runs and gets the slingshot ammo again to try to hit it that way. And, and Because we didn't say this. Bev is the girl that is supposed to be the one to hit him with. she's the marksman she's the marksman yeah, uh-huh. yeah yeah so eddie is left wondering what to do because she disappears and so what he does is he does the same thing he did when he was a little kid he conjures up his courage he shouts that his inhaler is actually filled with battery acid i believe in santa claus i believe in the easter bunny i believe in the tooth fairy but i don't believe in you this is battery acid now you disappear. And he sprays it at the spider. Now the spider reacts negatively because the whole thing is based on belief. 
and he just needs to really believe that there is battery acid. This ties into, in a really neat way, the fact that the inhaler is actually just hydrox, which is water with some camphor to make it taste like medicine. Uh, it's a placebo, and it works only because he believes it does because he has psychosomatic symptoms. It's now, really great it's when you think about yeah, that. Right. It's re- it, we need to be clear, asthma is a very real physical condition, but... Eddie, as a character, experiences it psychosomatically. Because of his mother. Right. Which we didn't talk about. His mother makes him feel like he's sick all the time, so he manifests an actual sickness through no will of his own. And the medicine works because he believes it works. And then it works as battery acid because he believes it's battery acid. And and he sprays it at the spider. And this leads to the second thing that the spider does. <laughs> which is pick up Eddie. And kind of squeeze him a little bit. At which point, he's standing straight up still, with his abdomen exposed, with the deadlights, and Bev shoots him with the slingshot, this really cheesy effect, where, like, sparks are going off inside of his body, this, this really bad kind of, like, inlay effect that they have on that is really, really dumb. And it it's hurt by this, and it rolls over, and it scurries away, and Eddie drops to the ground, and he's like, I love you guys, and then he dies they run off and they're like, no, we are not coming back in 30 years. Because this is the way it ended last time. He gets away. Mm -hmm. He gets hurt and he gets away. So instead they chase after him and they encounter this injured spider. Here's what they do. (laughs) They all put their shoulders into it and tip it over like it's a VW bug. And then they just punch at its tummy. And, and kick and, it. Yeah, and kick Punch it. Punch and kick. And break its legs. And, and then, then they... Bill shoves his hands into its stomach and pulls out its pulsing heart. And they which literally... Which you see in shadow. Yeah, you see it in shadow. <laughs> They've all got their hands up like it's... Like, like in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom <laughs> with the heart. Nom nom shivai. Nom nom shivai. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But I have to say... Yeah. I have to be honest. Okay. I don't know if I've said this on the cast that I have a debilitating fear of spiders. I don't think you did. I don't think I have either. It's really bad guys. Like it's legitimately a phobia. It is a phobia. I've never actually full on. Shut your face. Kelsey. At it. Seriously. I've seen it through the cracks of my fingers when I was it's a kid. It's like cross-eyed. <laughs> I always see the legs and then I look away. I've... It has two eyes. I've seen the deadlights. <laughs> Ironically, it has has two eyes. It doesn't have like the whole eight eye thing. It's just two eyes and they're all cross-eyed. Never, I've never looked at it. I mean. Uh, full on. It's, it's really dumb. I'm too afraid. But she, no, this is totally a legit phobia, so I don't blame her for this. <laughs> like, it's debilitating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Mike was in the hospital for this. Eddie's been killed by the spider. Stan committed suicide. The remaining four of them are fine. Why is Mike in the hospital? Oh, we didn't talk about that at all. Nope. Mike is in the hospital because uh, the punk kid, the bully... Henry Bowers. Henry Bowers, who, when he saw the deadlights, admitted to everything. Admitted to killing all the kids, and so he's in a mental asylum. He is broken out. Which they don't explain why he did that in the book. I mean, in the movie. Right, But whatever. We're not talking about it. (laughs) Seriously, people, we are not talking about the book. <laughs> and 
and he breaks out and he attacks them. And his hair turned white. His hair turned white, yeah, because he was so scared by seeing the deadlights. Which didn't happen to anyone else. I know, I know. (laughs) He he breaks into their motel and he attacks Mike and stabs him. Uh, Eddie comes to his rescue. And in the process, they cause him to stab himself. Oh. They make a point of them not actively killing him. It's an accident that he did to because himself. Because these are the good guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, and, and literally, no joke, they just leave him in the motel room and leave. Yeah. And their response is, nobody's going to care because nobody notices anything. But now that Pennywise is dead, shouldn't that change? And eventually they're just going to find him dead in a motel room that was checked out to Mike Hanlon? Yeah. It's explained in the book, but not in the movie. I guess it wasn't checked out to Mike Hanlon. It was checked out to Richie Tozier. That was Richie's room. Oh, Richie. I know. Oh, no, they do say it. Mike does say it at the very end when he's making his last diary entry. Because, again, their memories are all fading away again. He writes, you know, I'm starting to forget things, whatever, so I've got to make sure I write this down. The cops just let it go because that's what they do in Derry. Yeah, but that should stop now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Pennywise doesn't exist anymore, so the cloud over Derry should be gone, but you know. Kelsey, is there anything lightning round style you want to talk about here? <sighs> We're at an hour and 15 minutes. Well, we didn't talk about the end. <laughs> With the bike. That's the end. Oh my god. <laughs> we didn't talk about Audra hardly at all. So Audra <laughs> is Bill's wife. And... She is great to him. She's this British actress that he met, and they married. They are in love. She supports him when he has to leave. She defends him to the director. The director tries to hit on her, being like, hey, we should get back together if he's going to check out of town. She's like, no, fuck you. Like, give me two days, I'll be back. And she chases after him. In the process, she gets captured by Pennywise. And so she's one of the people that are floating. She's all wrapped up in the spider web, and she's in a coma. So basically she's non-responsive. They rescue her, and Bill sticks around with Audra, hoping that she, in Derry, hoping that she snaps out of it. And when it's been like two weeks or something like that, he finally decides, this is how the movie ends, he finally decides that he's going to try one last thing. And this is like the only thing that ever made him feel alive. (laughs) Riding silver. He can beat the devil. He can beat the devil. And he he gets on silver and he puts her in front of him. Yeah. And in a real awkward way, she's like laying across him and she's like leaning against his arm. But how does he pedal? I don't know. He does it. And to be fair, this is exactly how he described it in the book. So when you see it in, in real life, it's just like. Oh, no. <laughs> and he gets he gets on the top of a hill in what is basically San Francisco, <laughs> one of those really long hill streets, and he just rides it all the way down. He rides through traffic until, through sheer thrill, <laughs> she wakes up. <laughs> Where are we, Bill? What's happening? Who? <laughs> Pardon? And they're like, oh, you're alive! And they... Meanwhile, cars are coming at them from all directions in the middle of this intersection, which also doesn't make any sense. If they didn't stop for this bicycle, they would have crashed into each other. But And then they, they make out, and then that's the end of the show. There's a billion things I could talk about in our lightning round. 
I think we should probably. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna talk about how they all end. So they end happily. Bill and Audra, they're happy. Mike has decided that he's gonna go do something with his life because he no longer has to be the lighthouse keeper. Yeah. Eddie's dead. Stan is dead, and Bev and Ben end up getting married and getting pregnant. Now, a couple things about that. First oh, of all, things about that. Okay. Bev's always been in love with Bill for obvious reasons, and Bill was always in love with her. Now, well, they... it didn't help that she thought that the poetry that she loved so much was written by Bill when it was actually written by Ben. I'm not going to say anything about that. So, so Bill was the leader of the group. Bev was the only chick. So, it kind of makes sense that she would be in love with the leader. So, and he's in love with her too. Of course, you know, they've forgotten about each other as adults, and they both married two different people. They changed it in the movie. Whatever. She's with an abusive man because she grew up with an abusive father. and That's a whole other story that we didn't talk about at all. But so, the only reason Bev wasn't in love with Ben, I guess you could say because he was the big fat guy, he was the shy one, he was... But there was no indication of that in the footage from when they were kids. A little bit. Of her, like, not liking him, or, like, she liked him a lot. She liked him as a person, but she yeah. didn't have romantic feelings for him. So she has romantic feelings for Bill. Now, they took this out of the film, but he, they're supposed to have had sex as as adults when they, meet, when they meet up in Maine. Yeah, he's supposed to cheat on Audra, who ends up in a coma for him. Okay, that's a whole other conversation the about book, the book that we we're not, not talking talk about. about. My point is, they don't get into... Why she goes decides to get with Ben. And I feel like that's kind of an important thing. It's just kind of like, oh, well, now Bill needs to be with Audra, so I guess Bev's just gonna go with Ben. Yeah, it's almost like, you're the one who wrote the poetry. I must love you now. Yeah. Like, that's, it's very simple, and they don't handle it very well in this. But she gets pregnant, which is interesting, because they're all... Damn it, Bev. None of them could How am I supposed to know if it's even you? (laughs) At least you felt something. (laughs) So, uh, she gets pregnant. But when you think about it, they're like 40. Yeah, right? <laughs> so that's a little weird. Um, I mean, it's possible. It happens. <laughs> can we talk about how, do you think that if this wasn't a made-for-TV thing, they would have a child orgy? It's not a child orgy. And it's not a child it's, game uh, thing. They each have sex individually. <laughs> one right after the other. That's called running a train. There is a term for that. Anyway, <laughs> they didn't put it in the new one, so no. Right. I'm just wondering. <laughs> I don't think they would have because they didn't Thank put it God in the new one. Thank God both of these don't have that because that's the most awkward part. It's really dumb. Of the book. But okay, overall, my final thought, unless you have something else you want to oh, say. I'm good. My final thought about this movie, and I will basically have the same thing to say about the subsequent version but this one has a little bit more anger for me you had three hours to work with not a ton of time for a book as huge as this is yeah admittedly it petrified me when i was a kid and i'm pretty sure most people when they first saw it this movie scared them yeah you watch it now and you laugh and you're like oh my god i can't believe this scared me but there's just so much material to work with and the characters are so rich and vivid and when you have to cut them down and you have to make decisions about what stays and what goes. Compromises, you mean. Yes. 
Why on earth do you add things that are so unnecessary? I'll never understand that, and I'll never get why you got three hours, and this is supposed to be scary. Why wouldn't you focus more on scary stuff? Instead of focusing on the scenes where Pennywise just shows up and antagonizes them, but doesn't actually go after them. And I had the same issue with the new movie, too. He, he, I've read and I've heard reviews of the new film that have mm. said, why doesn't he ever go after the kids? And he does in the book. And he does like once or twice in this movie, but it's not enough. They should have put more of that and taken out more of the crap that wasn't scary. Right. Like we don't, we get, we get a really cool skeleton as you think it's cool as Ben's dad. Oh God, it's terrible. It's all green and dripping with sewage. It's kind of cool. It's terrible. Terrible. It's terrible. (laughs) And we get like we don't get the mummy. We don't. Sorry, damn it! I'm going back to the book again. Listen, it did the best with what it had, but you're right. It shouldn't have added things, and it should have focused more on horror. Yeah. That said, what do you think its Rotten Tomatoes rating is? Everybody loves Tim Curry, and a lot of people have a lot of fondness for this film because it, it reminds me of them. Bad 1990s movie. True, and there's no there's no getting around the god awful special effects. There's just nothing for that. So. And the melodrama. Oh, I have one more thing I need to say, and I didn't say it. Okay, go ahead. Again, I saw this when I was either two or three years old scarred me until I hit middle school. Scarred me for showers. Oh, right. When Eddie is in the shower and they do that claymation peel back the drain. It looks drain. atrocious now that I'm an adult. And he pops out and puts his elbow on the floor and his hand in, in his head in his hand. and Hey, Eddie. I was probably a pretty gross smelling kid because I was terrified of the shower it wasn't until middle school when it was like kelsey get in the goddamn shower i was like (laughs) okay and my parents had to buy me a waterproof radio Uh it was the only way they could get me to get in there for longer than like five seconds so funny i had to have music going it was the only way i could forget about it i knew you were terrified of the shower when you were a kid but i I didn't know to that extent. Yeah. I got a, I got a waterproof radio so that I could listen to music and not be thinking. I would stare at the drain. The drain. I couldn't, couldn't not. And even in middle school, when I had my radio going, you know how you close your eyes when you wash your hair? Yeah. I would open them all the time and I would have stuff in my eyes and I'd be screaming because I was... So positive that he was coming out of the train. Vision of a young preteen you, <laughs> soap in your hair and in your eyes, but they're wide open and you're screaming, ah! Ah! and you're just staring at the drain. <laughs> K Earth One Hundred and One is playing on your. It probably was. Radio. <laughs> but I was just so afraid of it, and it was because of that scene. I had to. I had to. <laughs> Say that. You had to get that in there. Yes. All right, that said, Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think? 63. Not bad, Kelsey. It was 57. Wow. Yeah, pretty close. 57, so not fresh. 63 would have been fresh. It's considered rotten. But, I mean, come on. I would definitely give it a 65. 
The no, kids are great. A, it's a it's a curiosity watch. It's something you watch and it's fun. It's not scary. It's just oh my god, look at the acting and oh my god, they just simulated a bull and a matador with a bicycle. <laughs> Listen to this music. Listen to these line readings. I'd probably give it a 50. No, I'd give it a 65. The, uh, the kids are so good. And Tim Curry has the ability to be a scary Pennywise. I feel like they just didn't give him enough time. Yeah. All right. So we will talk about Bill Skarsgård coming up in the next one in It from 2017 in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, Kelsey, what is the next trivia question you have for me? From Slash Cards, the horror movie trivia game. Spiders. Oh. Big spiders and lots of them. Arachnophobia. 1990. Will you let me finish my question? (laughs) Yes, arachnophobia. And I chose it because of the spider at the end of the movie. God damn it. Now, I have seen arachnophobia. Yeah, I've watched it with you. I've seen it. Yeah. It's hard for me to look at the screen. I know. You're covering your face for most of it. <laughs> but I've seen it. And I have se- and I saw Eight-Legged Freaks when I was in high school because my friend... It's like practically a comedy. My friend dared me to. Yeah. All right. So this one I chose because it is one of my favorite films ever. So both of my cards were about what we're talking about. And then you're just like... Mm-hmm. I picked the top card and I picked the best question on it. I picked randomly too and I got two questions that... Rem- it just happened to work out that way. That is kismet. <laughs> Kelsey. Yes. What... This is a hard one. What is the name of the boat Sergeant Brody and company used to hunt the shark in Jaws 1975? fucking kidding me it's really upsetting because i know i know it and i know that when you say it i'm gonna be really mad yeah that well listen that's gonna be a recurring theme when we answer these trivia questions so might as well start with you i was 75 percent of the other questions and i got them all wrong and i admitted it on the recording i know this is wrong with the jolly roger the orca I actually I did not know whale. that. I actually didn't know that. I thought it was something else. <laughs> that does not sound familiar. All right, so that was 1990s Stephen King's It. And moving on, next we're going to be talking about 2017's just plain old It. <laughs> and uh <'Cause> fuck Stephen King. <laughs> so we're recording this on the 8th of January. So the movie comes out tomorrow to on demand and dvd and blu-ray so um yeah go ahead and watch it i think it's absolutely worth watching and we'll watch it another time to get a refresher on it and so we can take notes and when we come back we'll talk about 2017's it Darius, not like any time i've ever been in before people die or disappear six times the national average and that's just grown-ups kids are worse Way, way worse. We all float down here. I saw something. There was this... Clown. Yeah, I saw him too. 
it's all connected by the sewers. That's where it lives. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. Kelsey, it's part two of our double feature. The late night double feature show. What happened in It from 2017? So it's basically the same story, except that this version only shows us what happens to the kids. But it's basically the same story. It's, it's half of what we already saw previously. Yeah. So what do you want to say about it? So this was an interesting version. I was really looking forward to this movie. I was a part of a group on Facebook that followed it very closely. So I was really looking forward to this. And when I finally saw the trailer, I wasn't super excited. They What they did was the original story takes place in 1958. So they moved it up to the 80s so that the sequel, which is where we will get to see the adults, is going to be placed in today. Modern day, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Why? What's the problem with that? It feels like it's placating to audiences of today. Like, oh. Well, why? Okay, so? I, what do you get? What is it that you get that is so much more valuable than being able to relate to actual audiences of today? Like, that's something you gain. What is it that you lose by not putting it in the 50s and the 80s? It just feels like... This is definitely making bank off of the, the 80s nostalgia that's huge right now. And it just happens to coincide with the timeline established in the books, which is something you want it to do. Yeah. I'm not asking that question. I'm asking what is so wrong about it being set modern day? Like I said, it just feels like it saw that Stranger Things made a lot of money and it this was actually in production before Stranger Things. As a matter of fact... Yeah, but I don't think the original the original script changed it to the 80s. I don't originally, think Originally, no, Originally, the guys who did Stranger Things wanted to do this. But because they had no established track record, they weren't allowed to make this. And so instead, they made Stranger Things. So really, Stranger Things is ripping this off. Stranger Things is ripping a lot of things off. And I love Stranger Things. It's okay that it rips this stuff off. It's kind of the whole point. My point is, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to single out your aversion to changes from the book. It's point, a pointless aversion. There's no reason to be against this. You lose absolutely nothing by setting it in a different time period. There, there's nothing to be gained from setting it in the... The only reason setting it in the 50s and the 80s was important was because the book came out in the 80s and the adults grew up in the 50s. Like, so it just made sense chronologically and we're doing the same exact thing here. Like, I don't see anything wrong with it. So because it made that switch, instead of making the things that they're afraid of be like a werewolf and... Well, among other reasons, yeah. They chose different things to have the clown turn into this time. And apparently one of those things was going to be Freddy Krueger, but they opted not to do that because it would be, I guess, pointing a little bit too much towards like other properties that they don't own. There's a problem with that, so. So this movie starts out, they're basically all friends except for Bev, Ben, and Mike, Mike which yeah. I guess is kind of what they did with the... 
With the, the miniseries? The miniseries, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. when you think about it. Yeah. And the characters, I mean, these actors, I don't think are quite as good as the actors that were in the miniseries. They don't seem... I'd say about half and half. They don't seem like they're really I there. I would say Bev is better. Yes. Richie is better. I like Finn Wolfhard a lot as an actor, but I actually think he probably would have been a better Bill. He actually auditioned for Bill. Yeah. I didn't get it. I think he would have been a better Bill. Yeah, I, don't I don't like, like the Bill. No. I don't like this interpretation of Bill. He's soft-spoken. He's quiet. He He's not a leader. He's not... Not at all. And in addition, they made him constantly be like shaming the other kids if they ever felt like they didn't want to go with him which is not what the original bill did the original bill was i'm doing this because of my brother it's going to be putting all of you in danger i understand if you don't want to come and the kids because of that feel more invigorated like this is a good leader this is a good person Mm -hmm. this is the person i want to follow behind as opposed to this version that's just like it does two things, this version, right? So it it does a better job of setting up Stan for what happens to him. They make him more... I don't like the Stan. I don't like the actor playing Stan in this very much. But I think the story does a better job of setting up his neuroses that he has as an adult, which leads to a suicide. Because he does feel like he's being forced and guilted into doing this. And in order to make him feel that way, he needs to be forced and guilted into doing it. But that's like the only real thing that you gain. Well, that and like I said, that thing with Richie, where Bill and Richie are at each other's throats a lot in this movie. Because all Richie wants to do is just like have fun. When they say, hey, we're going to the Barons. He's like, oh yeah, the Barons, those are really fun. Actually, Richie is the one that more often than not goes with Bill. Well, because he that's why they have conflict is because they are they are the best friends in this as as far as I'm concerned. That's what's being set up. And it's also why they have the more conflict. Uh, it's why they get into that fist fight when Bill when when Richie says, you know what, this is enough. I'm I'm done with this. And Bill, like you say, is offended by that, right? Like he he feels like it's their obligation to do it, which is really weird. But you do get this nice confrontation between Bill and Richie there and the fake out confrontation at the end when he's like, you made me do this. You made me do this and you made me do this. And now I'm going to have to kick this clown's ass. I told you, Bill, I fucking told you. I don't want to die. It's your fault. You punched me in the face. You made me walk through shitty water. You brought me to a fucking crackhead house. And now... I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! Yeah, well, we're gonna have to talk about the ending. I hate the ending of this movie. I think it's really badly done. I think it's really cheesy. We should say that it's, uh... This is our third time watching the movie. Because we saw it the first time with friends. It was late at night. We'd been drinking. And we fell asleep. Um, Both of us did. And so we saw it again. And then now that it's out on demand, we watched it just for this show. So this is actually our third time watching this movie. We fell asleep in the theater around the time of the ending. So we missed a lot of them going into the well, in the well house. 
and how it kind of wraps up. We missed the dancing the first time around. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, he's Pennywise the Dancing Clown. I understand that. And I get that they were like, well, he's called the Dancing Clown, but he never dances in the book. He never dances in the miniseries. Let's just do it for this version. And it's like, well, when you show me what you think of when you think of him dancing, that's why they probably took it out because right. it looks really fucking dumb. Well, I think they, they you're right. They, they had to try their best to make it creepy. And I like the camera trick that they did, which I imagine was done in post, where they stabilized the image on his face. And they, so they just make him dance like normal. It's one of those like hick dances, you know, <laughs> you got your arms going up and down and your legs kicking up. They can't see you. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm trying to describe it. <laughs> um, but they, they stabilize the image on his face and they shake everything else around it as opposed to his head bouncing around. Uh, yeah, and I so I think it's a really neat trick, but it is, it's, there's a reason it's a meme now where they put it, where they put him dancing to other songs and stuff like that. So there's a reason. I think they did a lot of cool things, but I think that, sorry guys, it felt a little bit like Star Wars, the prequels. They were like, okay, what was the number one worst part about the miniseries? Hands down, obvious answer, special effects. So this time around, let's really use all the special effects that we can get our hands on. And I'm sorry, they're all incredible. You're wrong. You're just wrong. They're all incredible. They make it look cheesy. They make it Where? look fake. None Where? of it is scary. Do you think Insidious is scary? Moments. Right, right, right. I don't like Insidious because it's scary. I like it because it has style. Style for fucking days. But it still and has moments like of fear. This. this movie did not make me afraid no. once. That's fine. It's also, and I hate to say it, it's not for you, Kelsey. You're you're 30 now. It's not for you. <laughs> Are you saying that I'm above the age of enjoying horror no, for I'm being saying, afraid of it? No, I'm saying you're above the age of the target audience. But it's this like is rated the audience R. You, this is the audience. Yeah, <laughs> of course it is. But come on. This is the audience that loves Five Nights at Freddy's and shit like that, which I can't stand. I don't think Five Nights at Freddy's is a very scary game, but it's fucking huge. But it has jump scares. This doesn't even have jump scares. Right, it's just supposed to be creepy. The reason the jump scares in Five Nights at Freddy's works is because the game sets up an atmosphere of creepiness, and then there's the jump scare. Well, if we talk about what each of them sees, so we've got Bill... Bill sees Georgie in his basement. Bill sees Georgie in the basement, and then the clown... Because the clown can manipulate people just like he could in the miniseries, just like he can in the book. And I think they actually do a, a really interesting thing with that. There are moments that we'll talk about where you have to be paying attention to the background. And, you know, I don't think we're geniuses for picking this up. I don't think it's like, ooh, look what I saw. Nobody else saw it. But there's just those little touches that... If you're not paying attention, you cannot see them. You cannot notice like them. Like from the book? No. I guess we'll just get into it now. So when Ben is in the library, you mentioned this. I saw it the first time we so watched it. So did I. No. Yes. Nobody else. I, I was. I felt like a crazy person coming out. I was like, hey, when the librarian is staring him down when he's going through the book, wasn't that creepy? And everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I totally saw it, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But... So Ben is in the library, which is a whole nother thing that I will get no, into later. I promise you it's not. I, I I thought about this. I agree. 
there's a problem like there kind of was in the original where Mike gets short shrift because he's the last person to join the group. Maybe also because he's the black character, but probably not. I don't think that that's the case. It just, it's a coincidence and it sucks. But he's the one who's supposed to know all about the history of Derry, right? He's the historian. He's the lighthouse keeper. So it makes sense that he's the historian. He's the one that's writing this story down. So at least in the in the book and and, and in the miniseries, and the miniseries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the one who's narrating it. So it, it only makes sense that he's the historian as well. But a scene they take out of both the movie and the miniseries that is in the book is that Ben's the one who goes to the library to do the research and finds out the, about the smoke hole. We don't get the smoke hole in this movie, so Ben doesn't get his research moment. So he gets it here. It's not like they handed it off to somebody just because it would have been better as a white person. But it does suck that Mike got that taken away from him. Again. Again. Yes. Again. Both but, times. But it, But it's not that it was taken away from him and given to somebody else. It's that it was taken away from him. Ben did have a library research moment in the book. He gets it again here. There's no reason why it shouldn't be Ben. But... Mike loses out on a lot, and that really sucks. Anyway, so Ben is sitting in there looking at the history, and Pennywise is definitely coming in to scare him. He ends up seeing him as a what in the book stacks. So there's, 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 when he's looking through the book and he's turning the pages and he sees the picture over and over again and it's zooming in in the tree for the the Easter head. Egg oh, hunt. that's right, the head. He sees the boy's head every time. I forget this. Uh-huh. And if you can pay attention to the newspaper clippings that he's looking at, this is about an Easter egg hunt that happens at the ironworks and there's an explosion at the ironworks and it decapitates one of the kids. Uh, among uh, many people died, but one of the kids gets decapitated. And so then when he goes back into the stacks of the, in the back of the library, that's what he sees is this headless kid coming down the stairs and chasing after him, who then turns into Pennywise. But while he's just looking at the pictures, the librarian can be seen in the background just kind of staring at him. And then, a li- like, if, if you're looking closely, she starts to smile. Yeah, and it's really, it's good. The little touches like that like are that. very yeah. good. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. But when then, he's when he's, like, I, actively chasing after them, and he's moving his arms really fast and stuff, and he's shaking his head, and that's, that's, what not, a, that's not scary. You're right. That's what I'm you're talking right. about when I say special effects, because Pennywise is creepy. In the very first shot that we see him with Georgie, he does the same thing that they had him do in the miniseries. First, he's got his little smile, mm-hmm. and then he's got his creepy dead space to uh-huh. face. Did you see that it's basically exactly the yeah. same as what Tim Curry does? So he was really creepy, and that required no CGI. It's all the quiet moments when he's the creepiest, I think. When, when, he's, when he's in the sewer, when he has the triangle of balloons, when he's chasing after Eddie. Um, Eddie. And, and the balloons raise up and he's got that dead look on his face. Like, those are the moments where Pennywise is very, very creepy. But when he's running, like, it it's looks It's also creepy fake. when he has them. And I really love these moments. And they might not be scary, but I, I really love them. When he's, like, mocking them and their fear. There's a few moments when he goes after Eddie in the house on Nebolt Street. And when he has Bev in the sewers. And he's like, oh, oh, oh. And he's like mocking their crying or whatever. I love those 
moments, but when he's trying to be like terrifying, he's not. But that that said, Kelsey, I really love this movie. Okay, we're not done. So no, but I need to get that out there. Every time I watch it, I like it more. So Bill sees Georgie in the basement. And then Pennywise runs after him and Bill escapes just by barely getting out through the door yeah. in enough time. Okay, fine. Bev gets the blood and hair. Bev gets blood and hair and in the bathroom. Hair just to add to the puberty metaphor. Mm-hmm. And it points it out because she just went and bought herself tampons. Yes. Uh-huh. Then there's Eddie who does get his leper scene because that was completely cut out of the miniseries. Yeah. But again, I feel like the lem- let the leper look silly. He he kind of does, yes. But I do appreciate that it's in in daytime. I think that's the point. Is they can't do like the everything's dark and you can't tell what it is. It's like the the harsh light of day, which I like. But I thought it was a little too much. But then think about it again. This is supposed to be what scares like Eddie and what little kids find creepy and when a kid thinks of a leper what they think of not necessarily what we know lepers to be and I think that they did a good job at pointing out that he's so afraid of being sick that that is why he's afraid of the leper it's an interesting take on it I know that was part of it in the book, but it's also just that there's this terrifying leper that's running after him. Well, there's a sexual element. There's a lot of sexual elements that are taken out of. Okay, you and know it's what? fine. Just full references, full <laughs> references to the book here. Sorry, we didn't make it. Um, there, there are many sexual references to the book that do not appear in either the miniseries or the movie, and that is fine. One of which is. <laughs> The, the leper is chasing after Eddie to suck his dick. That's what happens. In <laughs> and the it book. sounds as ridiculous as it is. I mean, it's better. It's well, it's better put in the book, but it is ridiculous. That is, that is like literally what is happening. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Stephen King has a way of flowery prose that, that hides the fact that that's what he's talking about, <laughs> but it absolutely is. And it's this, you know, preying on a child's homophobia in the, in the fifties Mm-hmm. now in the 80s. They don't say anything about that in the movie, though, so it doesn't matter. Right, 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 yeah. So, watching the movie, if I haven't read the book, I don't know that he's a leper. He says it. He does? He does. When, they, when they're all talking about what they saw, oh. he says there was a leper chasing after him. But it can't be one thing. We all saw something different. Maybe. Or maybe it knows what scares us most, and that's what we see. I, I, I saw a leper. He was like a walking infection. So Mike sees hands coming out, and it's you, you find out later it's because his parents died in a fire, and he saw it happen. Which is kind of half-heartedly explained because it's like, oh, I was a baby, and I guess I was just by myself in another room, and all the adults were locked in another room, and then that's the room that caught fire, and then I was fine. Like... What were the circumstances that precipitated this event? (laughs) I don't know. It's like, oh, yeah, no, my parents died in a fire and I was right there and they were trying to get me and they were banging on the door and that's what I remember or whatever. But, like, if you really think about what the circumstances needed to be to set up those events, it's nonsense. Yeah, it's hard to understand 
It's a throwaway line. Mike is just never, he's never treated properly. The so movies we, just don't know what to we, do with we him. But we get a little bit closer to the books where Mike has Will, his father, who has a lot of story in the book, gets replaced by his grandfather, Leroy, and it's pointless. There's no reason to do it that way. I mean, I guess because his trauma was that his parents died, it'd be probably you know, more traumatic than his grandpa died. So then it's his grandpa that's raising him. It's necessitated by that backstory that they created for him. But, but it doesn't grandpa, really change anything. The grandpa gives him a bizarre piece of advice about killing sheep. Like, if you don't start killing the sheep, you're going to be the sheep. You're taking it too literally. There are two places you can be in this world. You can be out here like us, or you can be in there like them. You waste time hemming and hawing, and someone else is going to make that choice for you. Except you won't know it until you feel that boat between your eyes. It's that you need to step up and do what you need to do. Because if you're just a little wuss that sits back and lets everyone make decisions for him and lets the world happen and change around him, then people are going to make your decisions for you. And you're going to be that sheep. And you're going to be taken advantage of and you're going to be used for your resources. And you're not going to, you know, you're going to die metaphorically speaking but then later he uses that advice to be like this is why i know i need to take a stand against it and it's it just doesn't link for me it doesn't really connect the connection is extremely weak you really have to put the pieces together and be like they fit even though they don't it's almost like a four thousand page book doesn't translate well to cinema (laughs) okay So Ben sees him in the library as the dead kid. Bill sees him in the basement with Georgie. Mike sees his parents. Bev gets the blood. And the hair. Uh, Eddie Eddie gets gets the the leper. leper. Stanley gets the picture, the painting. (sighs) I love this painting, and I don't know what your problem is with it. I love that it feels like a real childhood fear. Totally. 100%. When he walks by with his hand, like I was just like, that is that was so me when Sold I was it. a kid. Absolutely. I, I totally believe that whole thing. When I was young, I was in kindergarten, I think. My bus stop was up the street from my house. It was at the top of the hill. I would walk home from the bus stop to home where my grandma was when my parents were at work. And Around Halloween, people would start putting up their decorations. And now keep in mind, I was like five. So this was the late 80s. (laughs) Uh, Halloween decorations weren't that great. They were cartoon depictions of witches and cats that you put up in your window. You know, (laughs) is that kind of stuff. But it scared me so much as a five-year-old that my grandma had to come. She would drive up to the top of the hill to pick me up and then take me home while all the Halloween decorations were up. Um, but that's like the mind of a kid and how they make everything scarier than it actually is. Yeah, no, I think he does a really good job of showing that fear. It might look dumb to me, but it's cute because it's something that would really scare a kid. But when they take it out of the picture, so it's like a lady and she's got like a warped face. Yeah. They take her out of the picture and they make her run after him. And it's again, just one of those like, oh. There's a lot of running after you until, bang, you're okay. Yeah. There's a lot of that, and that's a problem. And it, it doesn't look real to me. It looks like a computer graphic. It looks like I'm watching a, vi- a movie, a video game. Right, but it has, this, it has this element to it where it looks like a painting come to life. That's what it's going for, and to you it makes it look unrealistic. To me, 
I, I like I don't mind that it's not realistic because it's a painting that's not realistic. It's not supposed to look like a human being. It's supposed to look weird, and that's the point. So ultimately, they all become friends. Ben's the new kid again. They just keep putting that in there for some reason. Oh yeah, and they have this whole joke about new kids on the block. We're rough. Which is funny because a lot of it, I don't think the kids of today will even know what the heck they're talking about. Yeah, that's why at one point he's like, uh, please don't go, girl. Hang tough, new kid on the block. <laughs> please don't go, girl. That's that's the name of another new kids on the block song. That's the name of another new kids on the block song. Like, you have to say that. They because... said it that time, but there were other times that they would say stuff and it was like, only if you knew. Yeah. That it was a but song But they would lyric. play those songs. Like, Hangin' Tough, they played. So when she says, Hang Tough, New Kid, like, it makes sense. So, they're all friends. Ben meets Bev. Ben brings Bev. Henry Bowers is kind of... He's okay. He is insane in this. Yeah, they play a lot more heavily on the crazy factor, as opposed to... Yes, he is a crazy person, and he is slowly going insane, but it's more because of the shit that's happening around him. But in this version, he just seems crazy from the get-go. The bigger difference is Patrick Hochstetter, who you don't get, like, like you. he's one of the characters in the miniseries. He get, he gets a bigger role in this one, and he's actually named in the movie. But, for, for no reason. <laughs> but they take, well, because... They put up a missing kid poster and they need to have a name on the missing kid poster. There's a reason. But they don't really use the stuff from the book, which is fine because Patrick was, I'd say he's like a pre-serial killer, but he's way worse than that. Like, he is sadistic to... In, in the movie? In the book. To, oh. to people. Oh, oh in the book, yeah. he's And to animals. And he's psycho. He's a psychopath. Right. I thought the Henry Bowers was better in the miniseries. I thought he was just more of a mean bully. Right, but I mean, this is, I guess, a benefit of the miniseries being set in the 50s, is that he gets to be the greaser punk with a switchblade kind of thing, which is a over-the-top caricature of a real person that existed. So it translates for us visually very well. This one, he's a white trash son of a cop. With a mullet. With a mullet. <laughs> what is it that Richie says about his... Go... Mullet wearing fucker? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's something, something weird. Go blow your dad, you mullet wearing asshole! Uh, that's at the end of the road. There's a lot more... That's another good point. There is a lot more cursing, obviously, because this is a they movie. Don't say, they don't say beep beep Richie. They say shut up they Richie. Say, well, Pennywise says it once, but right, right. But that's not my point. My point is, is that there's a lot of cursing, and I get it. Kids curse like worse than we are. Do you know how old I was the first time I was like, "Wow, I I cuss way too much. I should probably cool it down." I do know because you've told me. But go ahead. I was in middle school, <laughs> so I was like eleven or twelve. So the fact that these, I think they're all supposed to be about 11 or maybe even 12. They're older. They're, they're about that age. I feel like they're, they're not in high school. No, I know. I feel like they're 12 or 13. Yeah, is absolutely honest to me. That's very real. I, I mean, like I said, I teach that grade. I understand they do. They curse a lot. And that's just how much they curse in front of you. Right. 
It and, just felt kind of forced. And this dialogue was the the chatter, the conversations they have that isn't plot. That was written by the kids. They would know the kind of language that they use. Then I'm confused as to why their conversation and their banter a lot of the time felt forced. Especially with Finn Wolfhard. Because he has to curse a lot, and it just felt like it was over the top. Eddie felt more relaxed. Eddie's the one who wrote most of their dialogue, by the way. <laughs> it's funny, because I'm about to say that Eddie felt more relaxed with the words that he was using, but he also just seemed like, my character is tightly wound, my character yeah. can't handle things, and mm -hmm. so he, he plays him very... Chris put it pretty well, he, he plays him angry. And I feel like Eddie should be less angry and more hesitant, more nervous, more worried. This that's is more Stanley. of Stanley. Why would you make another character that's the same thing? Stanley feels more upright and needs to be more... Everything has a place. And if it's not in that place, then things are not okay. Whereas Eddie is more like scared and nervous and hesitant and i don't feel like we got that with this version of eddie this version of eddie was extremely he felt more like stan and stan felt more like a cowardly version of eddie i don't know right but i i feel bad because i feel like i'm just trying to shout down all your opinions and i don't mean to do that but that said you've asked this question before in other movies Based on your descriptions of the way the character should be, why would those kids even ever be friends? They need to have similarities. Otherwise, why would they be friends? Kids find other kids that have the same interests and certain styles, and that's why they become friends in the first place. Now, you're going to have variances, especially in a movie. It's important to have characters be different. I've said this before. But they don't need to be 100% different because then they'd never hang out in the first place. They need to have a dynamic where they're all having fun doing the same thing. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Let's talk about the ending. Okay. So the ending has Pennywise stealing Beverly. So she becomes the damsel in distress, which I have a lot of problems with. Right, totally. And, and then we get the you die if you try. Which is stupid, in my opinion. I mean, I like the phrase, but I do think it is stupid. It's like he's... Uh, there, there's, uh, this is a big problem with the movie, and Kelsey, I believe you have the same problem, so back me up on this. The motivation for Pennywise is very unclear throughout. Does he want to scare them? Does he want to chase them away? Does he want to catch them? Do they need to be scared before he eats them? Because he spends an awful lot of time making Georgie comfortable before he surprises him. And, but then the other characters, he spends a lot of time trying to amp up their fear so he can taste it, right? He loves fear. Tasty, tasty, beautiful fear. But there, there's, does he eat them right away or does he take them and collect them? And how does he decide? Like, it's very unclear throughout this movie. Yes, this version doesn't do a lot to make, like you said, make it clear. I know everything yeah, because I've uh, read the book. But so I'm, you're, you're bridging those gaps mentally. Exactly. It's yeah. easy for me to bridge them because I've read the book. But yeah, if I hadn't and I was just seeing this movie, I would have the same problem that I've actually heard a lot of reviewers say about it. Why does he never actually attack these kids? 
And the explanation is because uh, I could get into a long he's, explanation. I mean, he's, he's he's savoring their fear and all that stuff. And but there's no point in getting into it because it doesn't matter. It never explains it in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of the time, Pennywise does feel ineffectual. He does feel yeah. weak. Which is punctuated by the fact that he just gets beat up by a lot of kids with bats and pipes. And that's how they end up beating him. I mean, I, I don't mind it so much because it's the way they treat it. It's like he's getting overwhelmed. He can he can take them on their own. And that's what he tries to do throughout the movie is get them when they're alone. And it's when they gang up on him that they have power over him. And that is kind of one of the theses of the movie. If they stick together. Right. They're they can stronger. Defeat him. And that's it, that's literally what Ben says to Stan when Stan doesn't want to go inside the house on Ebold Street. Stan, we all have to go. That, that, that really was right. If we split up at last time, that clown will kill us one by one. But if we stick, stick together, all of us will win. I promise. So, th I mean, there is that support. And as a result of that, <clears throat> we get to see Pennywise do a lot of transformations in a very short time. We get a spider reference when he's attacking Mike, even though it looks more like praying mantis arms. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you saw the miniseries, you know what the spider is. Mm -hmm. We do not get the spider in this. I'm really curious how they're going to handle that in the next movie. You get the mummy when he's attacking... Uh, when, when they're all going after him, we get to see him... Turn into what he's supposed to scare them from in the book, right? Which well, is interesting. I mean, a little bit closer at least. So we, we we get a lot of references in this, and they come really quickly. And it's all him trying to scare individuals, but not being able to because they're there as a group. And that does support that sort of central thesis throughout the movie. But it does not explain why, when he does have them alone, he never eats them. <laughs> yeah, and it's a flaw. It's yeah, a big, uh -huh. it's a big gaping well, claw. Well, because if he did, then there would not be a movie. Right. But so in the end, Beverly is up in their interesting interpretation of the void, <laughs> the deadlights. Okay. This is actually good because it's the only one. It explains floating. It explains floating. The miniseries did not. It's, it's, well, they're in the sewer and I guess there's water in the sewer. But it's an odd interpretation <laughs> having the kids all swirling around in the air yeah yeah and he shows bev his deadlights and yet she's able to be saved with a kiss and we'll get into what that means a little bit later that bothered me mm -hmm. and bill's the first one to show up but then like oh there's georgie all right bevy i'll be back and he like yeah. goes after georgie it's like okay <laughs> You don't know what could be happening to her. Every second that you don't help her, you could be making it worse. Well, he also couldn't reach her. It's he true. needed the other guys to get her. So the other guys pull her down. Why she's not up higher with the rest of the kids, I don't know. She's newer. Oh, my God. You float higher as time goes by. Nothing the, the movie logic, says. Yeah, yeah, the logic is really flawed. Um, so they grab her, and Chris is absolutely right. Ben saves her with a kiss, and that is so problematic. Just wakes her up, yeah. It is so, so upsetting. This ties into, on Beverly's desk, we see a book of the Frog Prince. Oh, do we? Yeah. Which is a reference to, number one, the kiss that they share with the fat kid, you know, 
the one you wouldn't think she'd be attracted to. As a matter of fact, she isn't attracted to. But the one who she does get a kiss from, without consent, by the way. All these Sleeping Beauty, Snow White kind of things are all problematic. But she does wake up, and that's really great. And then in the future, in the next movie, we're going to see that he becomes her prince. Mm-hmm. By, you know, getting thin and rich. <laughs> all the stuff that he is later on in life that isn't thin and handsome and rich, he has as a little kid, and she doesn't care. You could argue that as she gets older, she starts to value that more. I don't know. It, it's kind of shitty. <laughs> it's very shitty. And then fucking Pennywise gets his hands on Bill and he makes this compromise like, I'll kill you all or you can just leave me and him. Let him go. No, I'll take him. I'll take all of you. And I'll feast on your flesh as I feed on your fear. Or you will just leave us be. I will take him, only him, and then I will have my long rest, and you will all live to grow and thrive and lead happy lives until old age take you back to the weeds. Pennywise is not this weak of a character. He is not the type that that wants to... He's not this weak of a character? How do they beat him as kids in the miniseries? And how do they beat him as kids in the book? They sling a rock at him and he goes crying and runs away. He's not that weak of because a character. Because they believe... Yeah. It's their belief that's defeating him. Yeah. That's at least interesting as opposed to... They're not scared of him anymore. Right. They don't believe he's at that big a danger anymore. And so he's weaker. I guess. I just, it seems so pathetic when he's yeah. like. Well, he is pathetic. But. You're right. You're right. I just don't see what the problem In this version. Is. I just don't see what the problem is. He is this eternal character who has been eating worlds, who eats souls, who preys on the fear of children. Who has this like circadian rhythm where he comes out only every 27 years and he feeds on some kids and it sustains him. And he has this, and he, and he appears in the form of this avatar of Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Like, it's not until later that we see him in his strongest form. So right now he's just Pennywise. That's all you're going to get. And of course Pennywise is weaker than the cosmic being. I just don't think that is. he would believe them when Richie's like the whole fake out and then he attacks him. I think he's curious. I think he's fascinated by them. And when he sees them arguing, I, th I think he wants to see what happens here. But I don't think he'd be that dumb. Well, I don't think he has a lot of social skills to be able to identify some of this stuff. <laughs> I do have two problems with the fear and belief thing. I'm fine with them taking out, this is battery acid. I wasn't. I'm That's totally Eddie's fine. moment. Could That's Eddie's shining moment. And they took he it away. He still gets a moment in this. He Not gets really. vomited on. By the leper, and he's grossed out, but then he just rages and attacks the guy. Like, that's his moment. There are two problems with, with that I see with fear and belief in this, in the, in the ending. And one is, when he slides into the pipe, he's dissolving, but then he also slides down the pipe. It's very unclear what's actually happening. And then he just says, fear. Like, what the fuck does that mean? 
Why would you even say that? I don't know. Like, it seems like they're trying to punctuate this moment. Like, ah, I get it. It's all about fear, everybody. Like, but it doesn't make any sense why Pennywise would say that. The other thing that really bothers me, it bothers me when I when I finally caught it the first time I saw it, the second time, and the third time. And it bothers me more and more every time because it ruins what could be a great moment. Mike brings the, the slaughtering gun, the pin gun. And that's really cool. I love that he does that. It ties into his backstory. But then Henry catches him and then goes to use the thing. Like Henry knows what it is and how to use it, which I don't believe. Henry gets knocked down the well, which is he just not coming back in the sequel? Was he supposed to have survived that? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe yeah. they're just going to take him out of the sequel. I, I, he's kind he's of totally pointless. unnecessary. I agree. He's totally I mean, he, he does take out Mike from them from going down with them the second time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe they're going to find another excuse for that. Or maybe this is where Mike maybe gets, it'll his, be gets to shine and he gets to Tom be Rogan. in the ending. Oh, yeah, 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 which is Bev's husband. Anyway, we are totally sidetracked. Okay, keep going about Mike. And so then Bill uses it against Georgie. And then he changes back into Pennywise. And then he uses it again on Pennywise. But Mike says to himself, basically, it's not loaded. Right? And I'm like, oh, okay. My first instinct is what's going to happen is he's going to use it. It's not going to be loaded, but it doesn't matter because Bill believes it's going to work. Perfect. Right? Bill doesn't know that it's not loaded. He thinks it's loaded. He believes it's loaded. And that's why it works anyway. Love that moment. Except for the fact that Mike then proceeds to shout at Bill. Hey, it's not loaded. Okay, so Bill doesn't now know, he knows it's not loaded. He cannot believe that it is loaded, therefore it should never have worked. And that bothers me every single time. Just don't make him shout it the second time. Eddie doesn't think that his inhaler has battery acid in it. It's about... That's why it's a bad scene. I disagree. It's showing that to defeat Pennywise, who works off of ideas and concepts Mm -hmm. and subconscious things i think then it makes sense that it doesn't matter if he knows it's it's loaded or not so then he believes that then why don't they just okay he He uses his childlike belief he doesn't believe because immediately before he uses it he's told it's not loaded but it's not about knowing right 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 It's just how strongly you feel it should be that way, right? Then why don't they bring a bunch of umbrellas into the sewers and go, these are Tommy guns. End of movie. It's broken either way. Either they have to actually believe it, in which case the scene we get is broken, or they don't have to actually believe it, they just have to think it, in which case anything is possible. All these kids are the Green Lantern, and they can do anything if they just think about it. Like, no, that's bullshit, and it's dumb. It's dumb, and it's the thing I hate the most about this movie. It's so close to the end, too, which is really bothersome. It's frustrating because, like I said, I really like this movie, and something to be, to me, at least so glaring is so frustrating. Do you want to do the lightning round? I have a few other things to say. Oh, okay. And then we can get to the lightning round. Let's talk about some changes. Ch-ch-ch-ch-changes! We talked about the smoke hole earlier that doesn't actually appear in this. So there's probably going to be no ritual of chud, or chud, or however that's pronounced. Well, there wasn't. They didn't do it in this one. Right. 
They're supposed to do it as kids. Right. And then the they do it again as adults. The is how we find out what it actually is. Right. And so we never get that in the Yeah, movie. they took all that out. Right, that's just that's just what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> I'm interested. I, I, I find it interesting that they included the house on Niebold Street, though. Yeah, I mean, that's back in when it wasn't in um, it's the It's in the miniseries. It's just not really explained. You see, like, a picture of it at one time. That's right? when... That's where Stan sees his thing that he's afraid of in the miniseries. Yeah. And these are these are things that are references to the actual book that don't explicitly necessarily mean anything, but you get little nods to it for people like Kelsey. For one, we see the standpipe on the postcard that Ben gets for Bev. We also see it in another scene. There's another scene where they're right in front of it and something creepy yeah, happens. They, well, they don't ever reference it. Yeah. It never plays a part. But there's the standpipe there. Bill's wearing a Tracker Brothers t-shirt. Oh. Richie is wearing a Freeze Department Store t-shirt. I saw that. I did notice that. Uh, they use golf wax uh, on the paper boat, which is in the books. Uh, with the paraffin wax, it's golf wax. I didn't like the inclusion of Paul Bunyan. He's just there. So as a reference, but he looks it's just a nod. stupid. Like, no, do you not? Have you never seen one of those? There's one next to my old ho- ho- uh, hometown. It's on the way to 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 where I was born. So whenever we go out there, we see it every time. It's it looks exactly like that. He's described as being enormous. To a kid, he is. He looks and he is tiny He's probably and dinky. like 25, 30 feet tall. Mm. Like he is really tall. He's also very, very far away. They are very tall. Um, I've seen one of these things in real life. They actually exist. So we do get that as well. Um, there's that intersection, Jackson and Witcham. Jackson and Witcham. Which is where Georgie dies. They also did Kneebolt and whatever the street is that they yeah. cross at. They did that there's too. There's the I Heart Dairy Balloon. Yeah. The bike is labeled as silver, even though they never explicitly say it's silver. We do hear Bill shout, Hio Silver away. Like once. When they're down on the street, you hear it from far away. Which is good, because that is such a lame part of the story. I hate that part of the story. (laughs) There are a bunch of references to the turtle. There's the Lego turtle that's in Georgie's room. They talk about seeing a turtle when they're playing in the quarry. And the turtle, for those of you who haven't read the books, it's not important. He just created the universe. (laughs) I also want to talk about some changes that they made to the movie. Scenes they filmed that didn't end up actually in the movie... For one, we actually see Stan's bar mitzvah in in one of the deleted scenes. It's in the trailer. And yes, you're right. And he ends up giving a speech about how disaffected the adults are in Derry. And how all this shit's going on and nobody does anything about it. And then he just runs off. (laughs) He's like, fuck this, right? You know, and he closes the Torah and then he runs off. And everyone's like in shock. Except Richie's there at, at the bar mitzvah. And so he stands up and just starts applauding wildly. And he's the only one who applauds. So that's a scene that doesn't actually make it into the movie. There's also an alternate ending, which is really dumb. I'm glad they took it out. It's just a slow pan back to the street, back to the the drain where Georgie was killed, a close-up on the drain, and then it starts raining. And that's it. That's the alternate ending. How dumb is that? (laughs) Why even bother filming that? Like, what's the point? He's not coming back for 27 years, so what does that even mean? And then we get the laugh and the credits at the end. 
Yeah, but I don't I don't think that's what that conveys. That conveys, oh, he's he's back now, which isn't the case. So that's kind of dumb. Okay, so lightning round. Kelsey, what do you want to talk about? Several times they use the, the bell, Bells of St. Clement's nursery rhyme from England. Mm-hmm. And I get it because it's at the very end it says, and here comes a chopper to chop off your head. Yeah. It's, ju- it's, it's literally just creepy. But anyone who's read 1984 yeah. knows that as part of 1984. And it it's so ingrained with this idea of government. Anyway, it's just odd because I guess it's, yeah, like you said, it's just a kid's rhyme that's supposed to be creepy, like from Nightmare on Elm Street. Which generally, but you'd think I that- think is very cliche- and I don't like, but I kind of like the idea of the of the creepy chance with the rain at the beginning. Like, that's where I really like it, is at the beginning. Uh, any other time, it's dumb. I, I just think that you would want to pick something that's probably a little less n- well-known or something. It's that, not well-known. But something that's not so ingrained in something else. You know, if you're going to pick a creep, there's tons of creepy kid songs. I will say, this is the... Highest box office opening for any horror movie ever at $117 million in its opening weekend. More than any other horror movie. And I think it either beat or came up just behind Deadpool as the highest grossing opening weekend for a rated R movie. Well, I mean, it it hit on a lot of groups of people that want to see it. it. It hit with the people who read the book. Yeah. It hit with the people that saw the miniseries. It, it hit with teenagers, because horror is usually intended for teenagers. Well, and it's inventive horror. It hit on the fact that it was rated R, so a lot more people are are excited to see something mm-hmm. that's rated R. It hit on the creepy clown thing. I mean, Which we had we had the clowns. Real live meme. Where clowns show up and scare the, the police. The Halloween beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> they got it in pretty good timing. It wasn't perfect timing, but it's September, which is right around Halloween. People mm-hmm. are starting to get into Halloween stuff. It's also 27 years after the original release of the miniseries. Right. I mean, it had a lot of audiences to cater to. It was... Am I a little bit surprised at how well it did? I am a little bit. Well, I, I think it's 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 refreshing for the horror movie genre, especially for young kids, because... You know, it was getting stale, and then Scream came out, right? And then everything mimics Scream, and then that got stale, and then other movies came out. Like, it just... uh, Every so often, there needs to be a horror movie renaissance, and that was this movie. I think acted as the horror movie renaissance now for a lot of young people because it was just so fucking, like, wacky with all the different things that you got to see. And I think that appealed to a lot of young Plus, they had Finn Wolfhard, who is... People love from Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, it's got the 80s nostalgia. It's It had a lot going for it to get a lot of a mm-hmm. lot of people interested in it. And I at least appreciated that it took place in the late 80s. So it wasn't like the really obnoxious 80s style. The closest I think you get to that... You know how when things take place in the 80s, they really ramp up the 80s-ness of it. Or any past era, they really ramp it up to where it's like, no, but that wasn't really how life was back then. 
people didn't really dress up like that. Like, you know, everyone's walking down the street with a flock of seagulls haircut. It's like, no, no, that wasn't actually how it was. They tried to do it in Stranger Things with the gang, you know. The gangs all look like Bebop and Rocksteady and shit. Like, no, 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 that wasn't actually how people walked down the street. So this got a lot, was a little bit more subtle with that. And I really appreciated that. The closest you got to that was the pharmacist's daughter. The bully, the female bully, where she has like the the acid wash jean jacket with the tassels and she had her hair up and the with the kind of side ponytail and she was very 80s stereotype. Speaking of the timeline, there were movie posters or signs throughout and they dictated time changing. So we don't really mention this, but time travels a lot more in this movie than or at least more apparent that it that changes versus the miniseries where they actually have title cards. And it goes from uh, June to July, then finally to August. And the movies that came out in those months in 1989 were Batman in June, Lethal Weapon 2 in July, and A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child in August. Uh, and so we see either a poster or a marquee or something like that for each of those things. Mm-hmm. Stutter didn't sound real. Stutter sucked. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I was, I was really bummed about that. I just, I really didn't like that. The them. only one who does the stutter really well is John Boy in the miniseries. I happen to think that Brandis does Brandis. an okay job. I mean, I hate to speak ill of the dead, but he wasn't a great actor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was a cute kid. And that was all of his appeal. I loved Jonathan Brandis. You suck. <laughs> he thrusts his fists. Against the posts and still insists he sees the ghosts. I'm sure a lot of my students were really excited to see that because we learned that as one of our tongue twisters in drama. Uh-huh. Because we were working on enunciation. <laughs> so I think a lot of my kids were excited to hear that. Georgie crawling away with no arm and then getting dragged back in was really cool. I love that scene and it's very well shot and it looks incredible. I love that kind of stuff in the movie. They do really neat things. Director of photography should get total props. That is Chung Hoon Chung, who also did The Handmaiden and Thirst and Old Boy. He was a cinematographer for all of those. I really like the scene of them playing in the quarry. I think it's shot well. It's beautiful. Again, Chung Hoon Chung. The piano music is pretty. There's that softened audio of them playing so you can really focus on like the looks that they're giving each other and the fun that they're having and not so much what they're saying because it's not as important. I thought that was just very well done. It, it, I felt like there was a lot of content here that maybe, I hate to say this, doesn't belong in a horror movie because it's too good for a horror movie. And I think that's one of the things I value about this movie is that it takes, even though it's just a silly horror movie about a demon clown, it takes itself very seriously as a film. And I really appreciate that. I think the best scene for Eddie is with his mom the first time, not the second time, because the second time he's way too mean to his mom. It's not how I pictured it. But when he's talking to his mom, she's in the living room and they're all going to go out. For whatever reason, she doesn't seem to mind his friends. Whatever. But she's like, are you going to come give me a kiss? And he's all embarrassed, but he does it. 
And you can feel that there's kind of this anger that he feels towards his mom. Making him give her a kiss in front of his friends. But then Richie makes a joke out of it and he yells at Richie. And when they're gone, he it's, it's half a second. Mm-hmm. But it's so cute. He just turns and he goes, sorry, mommy. And then closes the door. Yeah. Aren't you forgetting something? Do you want one for me too, Mrs. K? Sorry, mommy. That is the Eddie that I know. It's very real. Yes. Uh It's like, I'm hugely embarrassed to do this in front of my friends, but then my friend was a dick, so I like want to apologize because I care about my mom and I love my mom. Yeah. And it's a really cute half a second, half a line. I really liked it. When Richie is in the clown room, course there is a mannequin clown because richie's afraid of clowns i mean but that's not the point it's an opportunity to give us pennywise from the miniseries in two different ways one of the dolls is dressed up like pennywise from the miniseries i see the doll every time i don't and see there the are a painting. bunch of there, there are black and white photographs on the wall and one of them of clowns and one of them is literally of tim curry as Pennywise. I, I don't see that. I always we'll see the doll. We'll have to go back and I'll pause it and I'll show it to you. Because the doll is like right there next to the casket that he opens. The photograph is on a far wall. It's behind him in the background. So you don't really see it. So this is a fun little story. Apparently in Russia, Burger King tried to get an injunction against the film being released because it was to them too similar to Ronald McDonald. And would be, like, public advertising or whatever of them. And I don't know exactly what the lawsuit was, but they tried to get an injunction. The Burger King in Germany, however, did a completely different thing. And they actually sponsored the premiere in Germany. And so it's not clear. I've read it in a bunch of different places, but it's not really clear. And you can't watch the video anymore. There's only a screenshot. The video is not on YouTube anymore. Either at the end of the movie or at the end of their little commercial that they did that was Pennywise themed or something. It says, just across the film you see the Burger King logo and it says, the moral is, never trust a clown. (laughs) Just a big slam on McDonald's there, which I thought was a little fun. Apparently, totally legitimate and real. There are photographs of it. There's video out there, but I wasn't able to find it. There were several times, and we've already talked about this a little bit, at the, like, you know, it felt like, you know, why doesn't he just attack? Right? uh Why doesn't he just take him? The part with Stanley is, there's no... He gets out first. He's got his mouth eating Stanley. I love that moment, though, when it's just, he has his mouth over his face like that, and then he sees that they showed up. And he tries to leave, but he doesn't take Stan with him. Or Why wouldn't he just job. bite him? Yeah, just uh-huh. eat him. Like I think that made me really I mad. Think the implication is that he's there and he's like sucking his fear, like he's feasting on his fear and not his flesh, which is another inconsistency with Pennywise. What is it? Is it the flesh? Mm-hmm. Is it the fear? What is it? So when the Losers Club were interviewed 
by Entertainment Weekly when this was on the cover. They talked about who they would cast as their adult selves. Do you remember any of these picks? They're all pretty good age-wise. No one is more than three years away from 40. Who the kid actors? Who the the kid actors picked as who they would want to play their adult versions. I think I only knew one. I just knew the Jessica Chastain. Yeah. So Bev, who's played by Sophia Lillis, said Jessica Chastain. She's 40. Apparently she is actually in talks to play that character. Not final. We don't know if that's actually what's going to happen, but they did approach her at least. Finn Wolfhard, who plays Richie Tozier, said Bill Hader, who is 39. Bill Hader is the guy who plays Stefan on Weekend Update. He's also one of the cops in Superbad. It's an interesting choice. I wouldn't have picked him. He's a comedian. He kind of looks a little like him. Chosen Jacobs, who plays Mike Hanlon, said Chadwick Boseman, who's 41. Who's that? He's playing the Black Panther. Oh, okay. (laughs) Among other things, but that's what you'd know him for now. Jack Dylan Grazier, who played Eddie Kasprak, said Jake Gyllenhaal, who's 37. No. I think that would be interesting. Jake is not an Eddie. To see his range. I think Jake Gyllenhaal has a much larger range than you give him credit for. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a great actor. I think he's been in, across the board, all kinds of characters and done a great job with them. I've never seen him play a really weak... I think that would be exciting. Character. I think that'd be exciting. Uh, Wyatt Olaf, who plays Stan Uris, said Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's 36. To play who? Oh, I guess he's four years away from 40. Damn you! <laughs> Jogo! To play who? Stan. So he wouldn't be in it very much. Yeah, he'd barely be in it. He's also a too young. I think. Yeah, he's too young. I mean, I know he's 36, which is... I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, that makes sense that he's that old, but he doesn't feel like a 40-year-old. He lo- he's he got a baby face. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor, who plays Ben Hanscom, said Chris Pratt. Oh, because he used to be fat. Now he's not. <laughs> this is cute. Chris Pratt is 38. I can I, I could see Chris doing a good Ben. And finally, Jaden Lieberher, who plays Bill, said Christian Bale, who's 43. Okay, if you had played Bill like a Christian Bale Bill, then yeah, it could have worked, but you didn't. It could totally work, thinking of him as a slightly less on the spectrum version of what he was in, of the character he played in the big short, who isn't a big superhero, or a commando from the future, or Batman, you know? (laughs) He's just a dude. And I think no, he, I he think he could good. be an excellent Bill, but Bill should have been more of a leader character. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally, totally. I did. He needed more leadership skills. The biggest problem with all the characters, I think, is Bill. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, especially since he's so central to everything. Yeah, how did he get Bill? I how did know. Finn not get Bill? Ah, because Finn looks kind of goofy. Before I even saw the movie, when I heard about who they were casting, I was like, Finn Wolfhard, he's going to be a perfect Bill. And then I saw that he was Richie, and I was like, what? (laughs) You're just stuck on who he plays in Stranger Things, which is effectively the Bill character. It is the Bill character, and I think that given a chance, he could have done way more with the Bill Mm -hmm. character. And he showed some really good range in the second season. Yeah, I think he could have been great. And, you know, the kid they picked, I'm sure he would have been a better Eddie. Or a better Stan. The kid who played Eddie could have been a better Stan. 
I liked Eddie. You're wrong about Eddie. You're just wrong about <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> All right. Anything else left to say? Okay. I'm really sorry, guys. We've been recording for nigh on an hour and 20 minutes now. And we went over an hour with the first one. Every single one of our episodes is around the hour 30 mark. None of them go into two hours. This one might. I'm, I All thank right. you guys for sticking I will, around. I will stop now. It's good <laughs> enough. Let's get into Rotten Tomatoes. Kelsey, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 88. 85. Really good. The consensus was that it is well acted and fiendishly frightening with an emotionally affecting story at its core. It amplifies the horror in Stephen King's classic story without losing touch with its heart. That was the general consensus for the reviews. Uh, so that's written by the Rotten Tomatoes staff. But I think 85 is pretty accurate. What do, what do you think it should have gotten? I'm going to guess you're a little bit lower than that. I'd have probably given it like a 78. Okay. I can see that. I I think that's probably higher than I thought you were going to give it. But uh, that's good. I think they did a lot of really interesting things. And if I take my comparison out of my idea of mm-hmm. what this movie should have been. I think they did a pretty good job. I just, and the reason that I gave the miniseries such a huge high, well, at the time for the movie, I gave it a high score. Uh-huh. Like I gave it like a 68. That's pretty high for that because of how good the kids were. The biggest drawback on this movie was because I felt like a lot of the kids were miscast. Nah, I think Bill is the biggest problem and I didn't like Stan, but otherwise I loved Bev. I loved Richie. I mean, I loved Eddie. I liked Richie. Mike was a nobody character, and that's a bummer. I really liked Ben. He was adorable. I just really didn't like Stan or Bill. Which is a bummer, because I'm sure they're really great kids. But they just weren't cast properly in this. So, that's it. We will probably... (laughs) We will probably readdress this when the sequel comes out in 2019. And we get to see the old people. I don't know if we're going to rewatch the miniseries again or if it'll just be like a supplemental sort of thing or we'll just watch another movie entirely. In any case, what are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week, we are watching Beetlejuice and The Sixth Sense. What could possibly be the linking factor between those two movies, Kelsey? kids who can see dead people (laughs) and beetlejuice is a comedy but i think it's a comedy horror there's tons of horror in it it scared me when i was a kid oh absolutely so that's Uh what i'm gonna go with yeah i don't think of it as a horror as an adult but it scared the crap out of me when i was a kid it's about the undead and and beetlejuice just scared me no well he's a terrifying character if you really think about it they softened him up for the cartoon and for the, you know, the marketing and dolls and stuff like that, putting him in Universal Studios. Well, good. I'm excited for those. In the meantime, you can reach us at podcemetery at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery and contact us there. And we will, if you want, we can talk about your comment or question on the show. You can also subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Please do subscribe and rate and review. That really helps us out. But Kelsey, until next time, as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, He thrusts his fists against 
the posts and still insists he sees the ghosts. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. Politics to the sacred place. the other thing from 1984 there's another thing there's like a scene there's a dialogue oh no never mind i'm thinking about chains of command from star trek next generation there are four lights i am going to consume you i am going to eat your soul <laughs> peter piper picked a peck of pickle peppers and peter piper picked a peck of pickle i say it so fast in, in class and my kids think i'm cool <laughs> i promise you they don't <laughs>